Welcome to Media Roots Radio. This is Abby Martin. Today, we're excited to speak to friend of the show, Yasha Levine. Yasha is a Russian-American investigative journalist and author of the book Surveillance Valley. He now runs a substack about what it's like being a weaponized immigrant in a declining empire. His substack is a must-read, and I encourage everyone to subscribe to it. Seriously, go support his work today. He is one of the most original and insightful minds in this space, and it's truly an honor to have him on. Thank you so much for coming on Media Roots Radio, Yasha. Thanks. Yeah, thanks. for uh, Always a pleasure to be back. To be back among friends. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Dwindling space yeah. here. Uh, I guess talk about the concept first and foremost about just being a weaponized immigrant and why you decided to kind of centralize that theme for your current writings. Uh, yeah, well, you know, being a weaponized immigrant, I mean, basically <clears throat> the only kind of Im- immigrants that America really likes, you know, or, or, or likes to promote and likes to talk about are weaponized immigrants. You know, it's people who come from uh, from other countries, obviously they're immigrants, they immigrate to America and then uh, they're kind of their narratives about why they escaped the, the countries or why they left the country, their, 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 their countries of their birth are sort of used to bolster you know, uh, Amer- America's own self-image and sort of the, the myths that America uh, sort of spins about itself and sort of also, you know, sp- spins not only domestically, but also ab- abroad. But for the most part, it's like a, you're, you're used as a kind of prop to prove to Americans or to, uh, to kind of hammer uh, the idea into, to, to Americans that, you know, America is the greatest country on earth. All the other countries around the world, you know, are much worse than America. America is the only, you know, basically America is the shining beacon. Uh, And, you know, and it's pretty much immigrants from most countries are used that way, but it's much more intense for countries that are on, you know, on sort of official enemies lists of of America's, America's official enemies, you know. So I was was born in the Soviet Union. And so we came over uh, while the Soviet Union was the very very, uh, twilight of the Soviet Union. And of course, our whole narrative, you know, we are Soviet Jews, we were rescued from uh, communism uh, and sort of communist anti-Semitism. And so our whole, our whole um, like immigrant narrative is, is used to not only bash and, and sort of uh, to, to completely, uh, to, 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 uh, to bash the Soviet Union and bash communism, right? Um, but also to promote America's greatness and how, how, what an amazing free country it is. How 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 liberated everyone is here. And so I and so in the media, uh, you know, immigrants who write books or immigrants who are given any kind of media space um, in America, you know, they usually have that very very standard narrative, uh, a weaponized immigrant narrative, where they bash the country of their birth. And they present it in the in the worst possible light, um, completely, um, completely, uh, sort of, uh, you know, um, simplifying it and, and offering the, the, the society that they came from in this one dimensional uh, caricature, right? And uh, meanwhile, you know, praising America completely and completely whitewashing sort of all the problems that exist in America, and there are many problems that exist in America. And so, you know, when I when I started doing this weaponized immigrant project a couple of years ago, I kind of wanted to offer up a different, you know, aspect of the immigrant story uh, and to also look at the way that immigrants are weaponized. Um, you know, it's not just people from the Soviet Union, it's people from China, people from Cuba, people from Venezuela, uh, people from all these countries that are 
kind of come over here and present a very, 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 very particular version of uh, their own country to the pe- to people in America. And of course, these are the people that get promoted, right? These are the people that you hear about. These are the people you hear about when you go on cable news. The people that whose books are published, whose memoirs are published, uh, whose novels are published. You know, so there's a very particular immigrant narrative that you get in America, and um, and I wanted to just fuck around with that a little bit and and offer a different aspect of it, a different side to that to the immigrant story. And Yasha, um, have you? The last time you came on this podcast, I asked you if you had seen the film, an American tale. An animated, uh, <laughs> I believe it's a. John, I want to say John Bluth. You know, you man, I got. I'm embarrassed. I'm really embarrassed because I, I was, I was gonna see it. I was like getting ready to see it, and I just didn't see it. And I, and I haven't seen it. Uh, okay. I, I, my, my excuse is that you know I haven't like my since my daughter was born. Like I have no, I have like zero <laughs> time. But like um, I've sort of read about it, and um, and um, and I'm, I, I'm, 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 I feel, I feel very guilty about not watching it. <laughs> well, no, I mean, I, I, it's just funny because the, the only exposure I had to this concept of weaponized immigrant when I was a child was this yeah. movie, and it didn't click with me until what it was until reading your blog because I was like, oh, this is like probably one of the, I mean, I'm sure there's plenty of other American films, you know, live action movies, and you could probably name a couple of them, but this one is like for kids. This like an animated movie about the weaponized immigrant paradigm. Um, so anyways, yeah, sorry. I think it's actually important that I kind of feel bad that I didn't, I didn't, I didn't watch it in, in preparation for coming on. That's your, that's your homework for the next episode, man. Exactly. You, uh, you know, six months from now or whatever, uh, or a year from now, uh, I got it. I mean, because I think it is important, like, because this kind of weaponized immigrant, you know, perme- narrative permeates, you know, it's not just for adults, right? It's the kids get it too. And the fact that there's the fact that there's yeah. this kind of animated film about these, you know, these uh, little mice, right, that run away from, like, it's, uh, the Imperial Russia, yeah, the Cossacks. Cossacks in Imperial Russia, yeah. and it, it, hunting, hunting down, down the Jews, the Jews and. And come to America and all this stuff. I mean, it makes sense. Yeah, that um, you know, it's funny because you know, like, like a lot of things. There was an like a lot of the immigration, you know, to America by you know in the Soviet Union, but also in the Imperial Russia, like in the late nineteenth century, early twentieth century. A lot of that immigration wasn't really about discrimination. It wasn't really about whatever pogroms or um, or like the, the, a threat to. Jews in, in that territory, although that existed and violence existed against, you know, ethnic minorities all across that empire, not just Jews, um, was really like economic. There was a big depression there, the kind of the traditional, um, I don't know, like uh, sort of village economies uh, collapsed. And so a lot of these Jews, you know, just went to America seeking um, a better life for themselves and their families. You know, like a lot of people who come to America, it's really not about, um, you know, but then, then the narrative is that that kind of narrative, just the the idea that you're just seeking a better economic base for for your life, is not very sexy, right? So you got to like dress it up with all sorts of things like these threats that exist in these countries. Well, and then you have to be grateful, right? It's like I can't imagine being an immigrant here and having the the strong opinions that I do about American politics that you share. Because I already get like, if you don't love it, leave it exactly <laughs> like, no. way, way too often. And so it's like, it must be even harder to just be like, yeah, uh, 
I'm an immigrant and I still like can have opinions about how shitty this country is. Yeah, no, it's it's I'm definitely a minority, and there's a big pressure, uh, you know, from just you know, your own immigrant group, um, to to like to only see the the best parts of America. Or if if you can criticize, you can be critical of American of American politics or American society, but it has to be through a partisan lens. So you can like be a Republican, and you can criticize you know Democrats for being woke, for being whatever you know, and then you or, or you can be a Democrat and you can sort of criticize the Republicans for being these kind of you know reactionary lunatics um, who you know, like, uh, you know attack expertise and. You know all this other stuff. So it's like you, 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 you can, you can join one of the clubs. You can join, you know, mm-hmm. the Democratic uh, Party basically line, or you can join the Republican Party line. But that's that's the kind of the so the criticism is very much um, is very much um, um, like you know shoehorned into 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 these political camps. So yeah, to be just to be just like an unabashed critic of America and American society is. No, it's almost unheard of in immigrant communities. It's a very small minorities. I mean, not just in not just in my you know Soviet community, but I think in most immigrant communities, it's like a tiny minority. Even though it's like really instructive, because it's like you're actually coming from an outside perspective of a country that's been like ravaged by like capitalism. You yeah, know? and it's like it's and also just like all the history of the U.S. Russia relations, it's like, you think that that would be like a very instructive perspective that people would like welcome with open arms instead of being like, mm, your perspective yeah. like actually is like totally irrelevant and not beneficial to my cult. So. Yeah, no, it's, yeah. I mean, it's most immigrants who come, most Soviet immigrants, you know, it's the kind of the community that I know best, um, you know, who, who live here in America. I mean, they, they don't really see the collapse of this of, and sort of the ravages of capitalism. Um, in Russia, you know, in post in the post post Soviet space, as like a problem of capitalism, they see it as like a problem of, you know, like a holdover from communism, you know, like corrupt communist bosses, and just and just generally like a failed society uh, that they, you know, so they they they, see, they they think it's just there's it's not an it's not capitalist enough over there, you know. I mean, so yeah. they have, people usually have a pretty simplistic. Um, idea of what actually happened especially because they weren't necessarily there you know a lot of people have a lot of people who come over here you know they, they don't really go back i mean there's some that kind of go back and forth and are a bit more informed but like you know my family and a lot of people that i know a lot of people that i grew up i mean their their families basically never really went back i mean they went back to visit relatives but it was all very superficial and they weren't really paying attention to what was going on let's say we we came in the 19, in 1989 uh we left in 1989 and you know when we arrived in America in 1990, um, you know, my parents were like too busy trying to get jobs and trying to like fit into the society and, you know, like provide for their, for, for their two kids. So they weren't really paying attention to what the hell was going on, you know, like in the, at that time. And so for them, it's like the nineties are kind of almost like a blank spot. Um, they knew things were really bad there because obviously we still had family there, but like they weren't really personally invested in that place you know and so they their 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 ideas of generally so their ideas of what what happened there are pretty superficial and tend to kind of hew to the to the narratives that america tells you know uh mainstream narratives about what happened there it's about yeah it's not capitalism it's crony capitalism you know it's sort of like that kind of stuff so well, yeah, you, the podcast that you guys did a few months ago about like this misperception of Russian culture, both from Americans and Russians themselves, where it's kind of 
the colonized mentality is still pretty dominant, you know, where Western culture is very much idealized. But like, to yeah. your point, I mean, the, the nostalgia can work where you can either just totally blank out, you know, things that just contradict this like notion of American exceptionalism. So for example, your, your parents, you know, having, having left and then just associating everything with like the bad, bad shit, you know? Yeah. And like as immigrants, you know, you also have like a kind of a, you know, psychological pressure um, to, cause you kind of have to like, okay. So, I mean, without like a kind of a narrative about what the hell you, you know, what your life and kind of seeing your life and some kind of to, to try to make sense of your life and that put some kind of narrative on top of it, you know, you have to like sort of, you know, justify your actions, you know, or like, uh, like, why did you leave? Why did you come and, you know, to seek this, you know, take this really hard path to come to a new country to fit in as an adult, you know, I mean, my parents were 40 at the time that they came over here. So can you imagine, you know, two kids, you know, can you imagine that? Like, uh, trying to completely go, you know, go have nothing and try to fit into a new society, a new language completely. You don't know anything about that, this new place. I mean, it's hard for me to imagine that they would do that. You know, I'm 40, I'm basically 40, I'm 40 now. So they were, they were my age when they did it, you know, um, with two small kids. And so you kind of have to justify why you made that choice, you know, why you made that leap. Uh, and so you, it makes sense that you, you kind of, uh, the, the, the ideas about the place that you, that you fled, you know, kind of harden and, and maybe are even like sort of not ex exaggerated, but like, only certain aspects of it are kind of remembered or, or, or uh, accented, right? So the, the the negative aspects of that life there are accented, you know, to kind of provide justification and a narrative for yourself that makes sense, you know. Um, not to say that, all, that it's completely you know, the life was all great there, and they, they you know they're all making they're making it up or something like that. But just in terms of just the, the sides of you know what you remember about a place or what what, what fits into your narrative about it. Um, um, it makes sense to kind of see the worst in that place and to see it as a backwards, kind of barbaric society that's unreformable, essentially, you know, which is what how kind of the establishment in America sees uh, Russia and a lot of the post-Soviet countries, um, you know, as these kind of backwards, barbaric places that are terminally unreformable, you know, um, and are incapable of, you know, like things like Western Western ideas like democracy and uh, actual capitalism, you know, things like that. Yeah. Um, uh, so yeah, no, it's it's uh, being an immigrant is is like I don't know. It's a very it's a very it's like it's very schizophrenic, you know, because you're not you don't really you don't really belong in this society. Not really, you know, you don't really have like you know if you're like an if you're born in America, like you are, you know, you have a lot more. Um, I think a lot more. Uh, you a lot more. You feel a lot more like solid or firm or um, confident in your positions, you know, like, cause it's, this is, this is kind of the place that gave birth to, you, you know, you're like of the soil. Um, and so, but being an immigrant, yeah, like you're worried that you don't a lot understand some things culturally, you know, you're also like kind of not, you know, not fully from here. And, but you're also not fully from that other place that you left anymore. And so you don't really have a, a solid base on which to, um, kind of on which to stand. And so it's like very shaky ground. It's, yeah, it's, it's schizophrenic, it's schizophrenic. You know, you have also have like, you're being pulled in all these different directions as an immigrant culturally, linguistically. Also, you're like, I don't know, like your, um, your loyalty, you know, is questionable. Like, especially if you have family back there, you know, right. in the old country, like who are you really with? Um, if things, you know, come to a head and there's a war, uh, who are you going to be fighting for? Um, that kind of stuff, you know, I mean, just like, 
horrible ideas, horrible things that you don't want to think about. You know, hopefully no, no, no one has to really deal, deal with that. It's a horrible thing to have to, to do to pick a side, you know, right. or to be on the side, like for the side that's killing your own, you know, your own, your own family members. Um, it's traumatic stuff. Uh, but so like, there's a lot of that stuff happening. And so, yeah, like even now this, with this, with this total insane war, um, propaganda campaign that's being whipped up in America, you know, like as if there's like an imminent invasion that Russia is planning of Ukraine and of, you know, Eastern Europe. And it's like, I don't know. It's, 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 yeah, I can't, you like, I, I, I know it's probably not, it's not going to happen. This is because it's all, it's kind of all fake. Russia is not planning an invasion, but like, you never know how things are going to, how, how things um, are going to evolve suddenly. You never know how, you know, these wars can start, uh, in a way, in a way that like no one really predicts, and so um, kind of live with this idea. I was like, shit. Well, what if there is a war? How is that going to affect you know my mother-in-law who's like coming, you know, gonna, is coming and visiting us? Is she going to be able to get her visa again? Is she going to be able to get like you know stuff like that? Are we going to be able to visit her? You know, like just basic stuff that um, I don't know, like everyday stuff that people don't really think about. Suddenly. Um, are like front and center of your thinking, you know, day in, day out with these things. No, we're, we want to actually get in more into the, um, the, all the Ukraine hysteria right now. Cause it's, it seems to have gotten really intense very quickly. Uh, unexpectedly for me, I didn't, I, I just seems to have kind of come out of nowhere. All this media hysteria. Yeah, It's crazy. It's I, I was surprised myself actually. Yeah. I think everybody was. Everybody, yeah. people in Russia and Ukraine have been surprised by it, <laughs> which is the weird, funny part. Yeah, <laughs> they're really cranking it up. But we're we have yeah, we want to save that for the very end okay. of the discussion. But Sorry to jump ahead. Yeah. Oh no no no, it's fine. No, you're you're we're melding of minds right now. So you have not lived in San Francisco for the previous twenty years, but you spent some of your formative immigrant years there you describe in, in your newsletter. But you've also written recently uh, about how one of the things you noticed uh, going back to San Francisco was it sort of, you know, represented or people perceive it as being this bastion of woke ideology of, um, you know, progressive thinking. And you just wrote an interesting, it was a, one of your shorter newsletters about how you just were struck by the traditional gender roles that you saw (laughs) while going around with a a stroller. So (laughs) describe that experience and just that overall experience, what that's been like. You know, we hear all this hysteria and hype uh, outside of San Francisco about how crazy it is here. And then when you actually come here and live here, like what is your actual, you know, impression of the reality? Having a kid is kind of, is an interesting experience because you get to see a different side of, you get just notice different sides of the culture, right? And of society um, in a way that if you're, childless you like you don't really you know you don't really pay attention to it uh and one of the things obviously is you know (laughs) when you walk around it's like uh it's like who's taking care of the kids right uh like in midday like so i'm like you know kind of i don't have a i don't have a real job you know i'm 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 kind of a bum so like i i can take my kid out in the middle of the day and can look and can sort of look at what other people are doing and so when i every actually I i i i you know, I, I take my daughter out for walks like in the mornings and, and in the evenings and uh, pretty, pretty regularly and, and also during the day. And I see, you know, the kind of mix of people that are taking care of it. It's mostly it's, it's mostly women, you know, so men almost never take care of their of, of their kids. Or I mean, there are men, but I'd say it's like a 10 to one ratio, if not like a 20 to one. 
Uh, I don't know, Abby, if you noticed that in L.A. as well. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's yeah. so, it's like 90% nannies. Yes, exactly. And then the other part of it is just all nannies. And of course, the nannies are also women. Uh, uh, and so just, just, I mean, it's a minor. They're also kind of weaponized dump. immigrants. From like, exactly. And know, they're all there's... immigrants, of course. Yes, yes. And so, you know, um, I mean, it's just it's a minor kind of dumb point. But it's just because, but, but these things I think are important because, yeah, like, you know, San Francisco is supposed to be this place, you know, of like, I mean, I don't know if you listen to the right, to the right or something, you know, it's like, it's like this communist hellhole almost you know where there's like it's just a wokeism has completely taken over everything you know it's like <laughs> there is like no differentiation between sexes genders you know national you know ethnicities you know anything you know uh it's just one like bl- woke blob you know kind of um uh, uh of like gender equality and whatever the you know whatever whatever it is they fear and like no but you walk around and it's an ex- very traditional society you know Clearly, the men are, you know, are the ones making the money. You know, they're 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 working, and you know, if they're if it's not a nanny, you know, uh, it, it'll it'll be almost always a woman. You know, the the mother kind of spending time with the child with their with their child uh, during during the day. I'm during like a, a business day, you know, during the work day. The the dads come out on the weekends, obviously, when they don't have work, you know, and so it's like you know, just a small little data point, a small observation that I think speaks to a much larger. Uh, reality, you know, it's like for all this idea of progressivism and wokeness, you know, this place is still very much conservative in its in its gender roles, you know, and I mean, clearly, it has to do with the economics of uh, of the situation. You know, men are the ones who still make more money. You know, uh, it's just it's the way it is, and so we, you can talk about it all you you know, you can pretend to be progressive and woke all you want, but the reality, you know, you can't hide the reality uh, that. Like this place is still very conservative gender roles, and you know it just it is it is it is what it is. And um, I mean, I growing up in San Francisco, you know, we came in 1990, and growing up growing up here, like I never thought this place was maybe maybe because my my frame of reference is San Francisco, so like this is to me like I never but I never thought of it as like a particularly I don't know like progressive place. That's <laughs> um, funny, just the perception. Yeah, outside of San Francisco, it's like the most woke you know, democratic stronghold yet it is yeah. pretty dystopian when you look at like the homeless situation. Oh, yeah. And so of yeah. course that's easily exploitable to be like, oh look, like that's somehow akin to like cultural Marxism is just like the it's like all just one and the same, you know, like I mean you can't it, live here you can't live here unless you're making six figures pretty much, you know? Like right. uh yeah. So like so like yeah. so you know like that's just the reality. And so so like how progressive and woke can it be? And, you know, and so like th- that's the beginning of everything here. You know, like, uh, I mean, I, I, as you, you know, you, you, you all, we all basically grew up in the Bay Area. You know how it wasn't always like this. I mean, it was, it was never, it wasn't always so expensive. And like, I mean, being here, it's like what, what I see now is like it's, there's almost a total monoculture of, of people here, you know. So it's like, yes, there's, a diver- there's diversity here. You know, there's ethnic diversity. There's people from all over the world. But there's a very like economically, it's it's a monocultural city. You know, it's it's very corporate. Um, I mean, it's mostly tech, but like you know, all sorts of. It's a corporate city, uh, and unless you have like a corporate nine yeah. corporate job, a pretty well paying job, um, you can't like you can't even have a start a family here. I mean, you 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 can live here maybe with roommates. You know, um, you split the rent, but but like you know, so you're basically living a kind of a perpetual um, sort of adolescent or like a teenage you know or post college kind of. Um, existence but like you can't really afford to 
start a family here or, or do anything with, unless you have a very well-paying corporate job. And that's, that's the only kind of people who live here. And so regardless of, you know, they're, they're like, they're, you know, even their, you know, their, 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 their gender, their, uh, their ethnicity, it's like, it, it doesn't matter. Like there's actually, it's, it's so, so there's, that's another kind of conservative aspect of this place. You know, like you have to make a bunch of money to even just to even be part of this woke <laughs> to be to, to to be even like admitted into this woke society, you know. Um, so was everything is yeah. um was everything as segregated uh feeling in San Francisco when you grew up there as it is now? Like how Hunter's Point is is kind of like most of the black yeah. population in San Francisco, st- you know, still lives there. Is has that uh, landscape changed? I mean, I, your, I I feel like it's gotten a, a lot more segregated. Obviously, I mean, I don't. Uh, it was. I think it's. It was a fairly segregated city, although, like, I don't know, you know, being, I grew up in the outer Richmond, so it's like, it was a very, um, I mean, mm-hmm. first of all, like, I don't know, like, one thing that, you, you know, Evgenia, my wife, pointed out, it's like, you know, it's like, no one really talks about the fact that, you know, San Francisco is actually a very Chinese city, you know, it's like, because it is a very Chinese city, historically, you know, there's a lot of Chinese people who, who lived in San Francisco, and even today, it's like, so, when I grew up in San Francisco, I always felt like there was this mix of immigrants, you know, uh, but and and also like kind of a chinese influence in the city so i never felt like it was like some kind of totally segregated because i grew up in a in a, in a like a kind of an asian russian um neighborhood you know so th- maybe there weren't a lot of black people uh, who went to my high school i mean there there were but there weren't a lot of black people who lived in in my neighborhood but like i didn't really fe- get that feeling of of segregation obviously the segregation existed like you know Black people only lived in certain neighborhoods, like around Fillmore District, you know, uh, like uh, Fillmore Street, uh, and and uh, like lower, like the Lower Haight area, you know, and obviously um, like Hunters Point and all that and all that stuff in Bayview. Um, but like, what I've noticed is that the the kind of the the black neighborhoods that did exist, I mean, have, compl- have shrank like majorly shrank. Um, yeah, and. You know, and not only like in the sort of center of town, but also out there in on kind of the periphery, like you know, in Hunters Point and in Bayview, they're, they're like there's all these developments that are encroaching on that area, selling for ridiculous yeah. amounts of money, like condos and things like that. And so, um, I mean, it's yeah, I mean, I feel I feel like it's, it's such a obviously it's not a white it's not a super white city because there's again there's the tech industry has a lot of different people from all sorts of different ethnicities. But I feel it's a it's a totally monocultural city, you know. Like, um, um, yeah, it's like it's kind of uh, I don't know. It's it, it it doesn't feel as it doesn't feel as segregated as L.A. Sorry to interrupt you because it's like L.A. is so huge and like cut up, yeah. Because it's like a city. There's a more melding. But yeah, like I feel it's gotten a lot more, a uh, lot less diverse here. You know, a lot less diverse. Like, how has COVID changed it? Mm-hmm. I mean, has have you seen it? getting better or worse like post COVID? I know it's probably hard to assess, but cause you, I mean, you're yeah. living there now and we only moved you're... here like, yeah, like three months, four months ago. So, um, I mean, you know, but I've visited my parents. I don't know. It's, it's kind of hard to tell. I think it's, I don't know if it got better. Uh, I mean, it's well, probably, Yasha, it's everything's to... boarded up because everyone's, I mean, damn dude, you can't even go shopping in union square anymore. Bro, Actually, because... exactly. Oh yeah, exactly. No, exactly. <laughs> that place. No, totally. Well, you know, it's funny cause we live, I live right around the corner from hate street. So it's a very, like it's a commercial district, you know, people come here to shop and to eat and kind of go to bars and things. And 
place is booming. Like it's just like um, I mean, there's a, some some there, there's actually c- quite a few uh, stores that are kind of just empty um, more than I've ever remembered it. And so I, I don't know if it has to do with COVID because I just wasn't here before. But generally speaking, like bars are f- full of people. You know, restaurants are full of people. Uh, people are coming here to like to go to the head shops, to go to the like you know, secondhand uh, clothing stores to go to the, to the weed dispensaries. Like, um, you know, if I didn't know there was COVID here, I mean, there are, there are a lot fewer tourists, like a lot fewer tourists. Almost, almost oh, that's no, interesting. Outside, outside tourists. Uh, but like there's, and I think there's a lot of internal, um, you know, kind of, it's like a place that people from all over the Bay Area come to kind of hang out, right? Um, and so I wouldn't have, if I was just sort of dropped in, dropped here, um, and I had no idea that there was a pandemic that was going on or like I woke up from a coma or something. Um, I wouldn't even have known something is off other than, you know, maybe people wearing masks when they go in, inside the stores and stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think, I don't know. It's, it's hard to say if, I, I think, I'll tell you, I mean, I think the COVID it was, is, has been really great for all the tech people, you know, people who work for tech companies um, because they work from, they don't have to go to their offices anymore. Or if they do go to their offices, they go a couple of times a week. So like, I, um, one thing I noticed just even before we moved here, um, like you go to Golden Gate Park and it's a lot more utilized now than it, than it has ever been that I've, that I've seen. So people are like in the middle of the day, you know, they're like, they can go for a jog or bike ride with their Mm -hmm. dog, you know, and it's not, they're not at the office. So they can go for like, you know, for their lunch break or, or, or be with their laptop just on the, on some, on some grassy knoll and be working, you know? Uh, So the, so like the kind of the, the corporate sector, you know, the high tech sector that has been the most privileged in COVID, they all retained their jobs and, you know, that, 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 that sector of the economy actually, you know, got a lot wealthier and has obviously like a lot, so many, so many things have went online, you know? Because during COVID, and so like it's like benefited the most from these from from the lockdowns and from the pandemic, and so no one's being fired. You know, everyone's has their high salaries, but the best thing is you don't have to commute to work anymore. You know, and so like I feel like I feel like especially people who don't have children, you know, younger people in the tech in the tech world. I mean, they're like they're living their best life now. It, it seems like you know at, at least in terms of their I don't know like work life habit uh, balance or whatever they whatever they like to call it. You know, in the corporate world. People are just, yeah, like I've never seen San Francisco so happy, at least this, this section, this sector segment of San Francisco. Yeah. So that's my, that's my very limited experience. Uh, I mean, I mean, I know with people with kids, you know, it's been a lot more difficult, especially when, when things were locked down and they couldn't send them to school. So like you had to kind of deal with them, you know, um, <laughs> <laughs> you had to deal with your kids. Uh, you couldn't just like give them off to like a nanny, you know, you know or like a, or a, childcare or whatever you know um so yeah so but i think san francisco weathering the pandemic just fine you know like it's 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 Absolutely. kind of surprising how how um how well it's doing and there's like almost no one dying That's... here it's like because obviously it makes sense everyone's rich i mean you know comparatively you know like if people are wealthy they don't they don't have to go to work they're not mm-hmm. being forced to like work in a kitchen or in a warehouse sorting you know the stuff that they buy on amazon or delivering this stuff. So like, they're just completely, completely isolated from the pandemic. And so obviously they're not really um, catching it. And plus they have like good healthcare, you know, if they do catch it. So it's like the city's like, it's a little, almost like a little, you know, they, they etched out a little piece of heaven, you know, uh, in this kind of collapsing 
California um, civilization. Yeah, like they're kind of immune from all the wildfires, pretty much uh, immune from the drought. Even you know, like uh, San Francisco has its own uh, uh, reservoir. Like you know, it has its own dam and reservoir, like right next to Yosemite Valley, right? And, the Hetch Hetchy, right? Yeah, the Hetch Hetchy, and it's like ninety yeah. percent capacity or something. It's like has they have all the water they ever need. Yeah. And they're like siding with the Trump they were like sided siding with the Trump administration when he was still in president, like by like refusing to like divert water and like release water f- from the dam to like help support, you know, fish populations uh in this river that they've completely tapped out and it's almost dry. So they're like, you know, San Francisco is in terms of like w- its water politics, it's like siding with the Trump administration. Um and stuff <laughs> like that. You know, so it's like it's it's you know, again, wokeness, you know, wokeness has its limits. Um uh, well, let's talk about the the PG and E um, aspect of the Bay Area because you've written about it recently, and you dug up a really interesting story that's particularly fascinating to me because it yeah. involves one of my personal favorite subjects and obsessions the uh, the idea of anthrax threats. Yes, um, this is a rather odd story. Can you can you go into what you discovered about how there was a moment? And I I mean I was even surprised to hear this because I just assumed that. You know, California has been under the thumb of PG&E. I mean, they have been, but this there was a moment seemingly where they were deciding whether to uh, yeah, public creating real, like a public, public utility that instead of letting owned, PG&E yeah, have yeah. a monopoly. Yeah. What what was that that vote or what was that well, and, yeah. and what happened to it? I mean, it's a cool story that I I, I actually didn't even yeah I only just recently learned about it. Uh, so it's like this. I think you know. So there what there was the earthquake in San Francisco it was the 1906 earthquake, right? Um, trying to remember the year here and i think it's 1906 big earthquake that basically burned down most of san francisco uh and you know one of the things that happened was that you know water uh so the san francisco water supply so san francisco almost has none no water like locally there's there's like a, a shallow aquifer of like the rainwater and stuff like that kind of comes you know off the hills and sort of drains down into the ground it's not a lot of water you know it's not enough to s- sustain like an actual city and so from early on, like you needed water kind of imported from, from outside, you know, a lot of San Francisco is just basically a sand dune. Uh, there's, you know, didn't support much, much vege- vegetation even natively. Uh, and so from early on, you know, there was all these sort of private companies, again, like private monopolies or private monopoly that emerged that would supply San Francisco uh, with water from sort of the kind of like the South Bay uh, area uh, and have this, this private company. And what happened with, at that earthquake, like, <laughs> It, that that private that private company was supposed to maintain like fire hydrants and like you know maintain water for for the use of of, of fire crews right to put out fires and of course there, there's this massive fire and turned out like the 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 the, the water system that they were maintaining uh, was like you know shitty it completely broke down it didn't have enough water or enough water pressure to even like provide firefighters uh, with any water to fight fires at, at, you know it went, it, it, it went during that fire and so like. That gave kind of this political push at the time, you know, uh, in San Francisco and in California to push the creation of a, of like a, um, of a publicly owned water infrastructure, you know, that the city controlled, that the city owned. And, you know, this is sort of during the progressive era in America. So like there was kind of, you know, these sort of uh, publicly owned utilities or publicly owned services like electricity and water. Like there was kind of a, it was, it was in vogue, you know, it wasn't like a fringe idea. Uh, at the time, so 
So they were like, San Francisco was looking for a proper place to kind of, a place that you needed to create, put a dam somewhere, right? To like collect water for what would become San Francisco's water system. And the only place they could found like was that, that was sort of feasible was in a, in a, in a public, uh, in a federal park, you know, uh, in, in the Yosemite uh, park, you know, so that, and legislation, you know, they created these parks, obviously forbid any kind of development in, in these areas. I mean, the, these parks are created specifically to pre preserve, you know, little chunks of nature from development, right? Um, and so, like, you know, in a kind of complicated maneuvering in 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 Washington D.C., like they were, San Francisco was allowed to dam this um, kind of adjacent valley to Yosemite Valley, this Hetch Hetchy Valley, um, and put a dam there, right, in in the middle of a federal park, right, a national park. I mean, in a national park, uh, but like. The caveat was that they'd have to um, put like a hydroelectric station on it to generate electricity, and that that electricity would also be owned by the city and controlled by the city. Kind of a complicated deal. So you could create a public water, you know, utility, but you also had to create a public ele electricity utility at the same time, right? And and at the mm -hmm. time, PG&E was all, had like kind of controlled and supplied a lot of electricity in, in sort of in Northern California and California in general. Um, and what happened was, I don't know, PG&E bribed someone or was, it's, it's unclear what actually you know, took place there, but what the city did was it like built out this, um, electricity infrastructure, right. That, that generated electricity off this dam, uh, in Yosemite National Park. Um, and it essentially, you know, strung these, these wires, you know, the lines that carried the electricity but never built them out and never and never carried them to San Francisco, but instead sort of like left them hanging and kind of connected them to the PG&E's power grid. And then PG&E kind of had owned and controlled the power grid in San Francisco. So the, energy, the electricity was generated by a publicly owned project, but it depended on a private monopoly, right, uh, mm -hmm. to... Uh, uh, transmitted to San Francisco and to transmit it to San Francisco's clients. And this was like, you know, 100 years ago. And that is true to today. So PG&E kind of like did some kind of backroom deal back then in order to prevent the creation of a publicly owned uh, elec elec electricity, you know, uh, utility, right? And it like, and for, you know, for, for over a century has like time and time again killed projects or killed attempts by, by San Francisco to enact, uh, you know, a true public utility and like sort of bypass PG&E and create its own electrical grid and infrastructure that could deliver this you know, publicly owned electricity to San Francisco. Uh, uh, so, and so, and one of the one of the one of the like um, um, one of the most uh, one of the latest ones, you know, one of the one of the, one of the, one, <laughs> one of the latest attempts that it, it foiled was the, there was this sort of in two thousand one. Um, there was a, um, a ballot measure, um, in San Francisco that would have created the sort of municipal power agency that would have, uh, replaced PG&E. And it was a very, it was a very close, uh, like vote. And, um, there was something very weird that happened that it, during, during the counting of the vote, there was like an anthrax scare, essentially. Someone, some people got, uh, letters with what was believed to be anthrax. And so um, Mayor Willie Brown sort of uh, 
office at the time, like basically put a stop to the count. Right. Uh, and because they thought there would be, might be anthrax in the actual ballots that were, are in, yeah. And so, and so like, and then they moved these boxes to some like undisclosed location out of city hall. And like, and some of those boxes disappeared and wound up, you know, being found like floating in the San Francisco Bay. <laughs> and, what the and, fuck? and, 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 it turned out that like that measure, you know, that would have created this publicly owned utility to deliver electricity to San Francisco, like was defeated, you know, by a very narrow margin. And that's it. You know? Wow. So like just, it's a very strange story. Yeah. Incredible. And, and even now there's like some, you hear like some attempts to maybe get that legislation going again to, cre- to create a publicly owned utility here. Uh, but it's, it's like, you know, it's, people are so, I think voters here are so, um, I don't know, people, not just voters, people generally are so like disconnected from any kind of local politics um, that I, I don't know, I don't really have much faith in this actually happening any, anytime soon. Um, so yeah, so PG&E kind of has a long history in San Francisco for being, for all sorts of shady stuff. And um, it is essentially, you know, thwarted uh, attempts to create, you know, actually uh, publicly owned, government owned uh, electrical, uh, you know, uh, systems of uh, that would distribute energy, you know, even though, even though this 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 electricity is generated by 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 a public agency, so it's like you can create you can you can create public you can create electricity, you know, the public can create its own electricity, but it doesn't own the means of distributing it and uh, receiving it, right, and using it. So it's like has to just San Francisco is constantly kind of in, uh, controlled by PG&E because it can I don't know it has like unilateral power to like impose all sorts of weird fees, exorbitant fees for things that it may be like, if it, if it feels like it's being, it's, um, um, it like doesn't, uh, you know, like a project that San Francisco, you know, uh, is trying to put in place, can like do, do all sorts of shady stuff to like actually prevent develop, development in San Francisco that, it, that, that, that doesn't like and things like that. So, yeah, so it's a weird story. And um, I mean, I, I'm surprised, you know, like I've kind of, I've been, digging into the history of water and politics in California for like, I don't know, a decade at least. And I, I'm surprised I've never really even heard this little story about, about what happened with the anthrax and uh, um, pretty, it's very recent, you know, I live, I was living here at the time. And so I, I had no idea this, this had happened. Well, it's, it's fascinating, Yasha, because like you said, people are so disconnected from the, this aspect of local politics, but yet, they're so reactive to and so in a hysterical mindset right now over this idea of crime yes. wave uh, that's, you know, seems to have been uh, really hyped up during the pandemic, especially. And you have people directing their rage at things like this gang theft looting of the um, those department fashion yeah. stores on Market Street. It was almost portrayed like a 9-11-like <laughs> event true. Uh, for local San Francisco citizens. True. And then all this sympathy being garnered for retail stores like Rite Aid because of this, you know, this brazen shop lifting that's supposedly hitting them so hard that they have to close their stores. And then meanwhile, you know, that story gets blasted all over the national media. It's on Fox News. Like you see those video clips on Tucker Carlson of the guys like bringing out like a black garbage bag full of stuff from a Rite Aid as if it's like the end of the world. Yeah, I know. But then meanwhile, you have a San Mateo cop just a few weeks ago who got arrested for robbing a Rite Aid at gunpoint for his pain pill addiction. He He went to the pharmacy and basically held them up at gunpoint for 
like biking. Yeah, or yeah. That, and you don't even fucking no, hear about that. No. And that's like that's a cop. Like that is a cop who did that. I mean, there's so many other things. I mean, you just came from L.A. too. This train derailment uh, story is getting so much weird spin and attention too. This train derailment in L.A you know, happens in this low-income neighborhood, and instead of being addressed immediately by, like, the city or a cleanup crew or something, it's portrayed as this, like, mass train robbery where all these people looted a train. It's like, well, to me, it just looked like a train derailed in L.A. They didn't do shit about it for some reason, which is pretty weird. And then people were just able to just grab a bunch of packages out of the train. So, yeah, really, is that really a train robbery? No, they presented that story as... kind of just like the city fucked up. Like, what the... No, that's funny, because, yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, look, it's... um, Yeah, it's like the crime... The local crime stuff. I mean, it's pretty clearly, like... I mean, even if you go on, like, I don't know, next door or something, you know? Like, you'll see, like... I mean, I you know, be just kind of paranoid about this stuff. But, like, you just see, you know, these kind of almost obviously kind of... I mean... If, if 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 it's not like a police psyop, you know, post, you know, like these posts about like complaining about being robbed or, you know, having like some kind of home invasion, not a home invasion, but like a home robbery or just people posting these kind of crazy, really over the top things about having something stolen out of, out of their home or out of their car. It's like they're like they're written in this way, almost like designed to like, you know, create the maximum uh, fear and maximum panic uh, in the people who are reading it. And even if they're not like a almost like a police tie up, it 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 reads like it, and so it might as well be. I don't know because it's that's how people think about it. You know, it's like how people think about. Yeah, that app is really weird. It's basically people trying to rat each other out and be like, "There's this suspicious figure, like you know, just walking in front of my house, like like a community weird system where you just like hate homeless." Oh, you talking about Citizen app or what? Or no, next door. Next door, yeah, next door is insane. Next door, next. Next door is just like they're both they're both really problematic. Like, both the citizen and yeah, next it's like door. Like it creates it, it creates reasons. this totally you know uh, echo chamber right where all you see are is just these stories or posts you know that people are, of like of just crime basically or like yeah suspicious characters they're like they do the almost it's vigilante yeah, yeah they do this basically they do this is, kind yeah. of thing where they almost yeah have like a they're like they they they're like you know. Uh, they they give the description of the suspect as if it's like some kind of police report almost. You know, they're like basically pro- profiling mm-hmm. people. You know, and they like yeah, like and always it's like someone suspected of casing their house. You know, it's like oh, I think he was casing my house. I mean, just it's <laughs> it's totally. It's, I mean, it's like it's like it's like you know, I saw that living a little bit in Victorville, like um, where people you know in, in the suburbs, like where people don't really walk around. Uh, like you know, if you're walking through a suburb. It's, you know, especially kind of maybe, you know, one that has some crime generally and people are paranoid about crime there. Like if you're walking, it already means you're suspicious, right? Like, cause people don't walk in the suburbs. And if you're like walking slowly and kind of looking around and, you know, trying to enjoy your walk outdoors, like you're quite, quite obviously like, you know, on the prowl. Uh, and yeah, exactly. you can get cops called on, you know, and in fact, you know, my buddy, Mark Ames, you know, when he was staying with me in Victorville, he got like, he was taking a walk around the neighborhood and uh just talking on a cell phone i think to his brother or something you know loudly and like there's no one in the neighborhood it's in you know it's in the middle of the high high desert you know victorville it's, it's like a suburb uh, subprime suburb community and like he got cops called on him and they pulled guns on him you know as he was trying to like come back into Holy the house shit yeah they like pulled guns on him just because he was walking someone called the cops on him, you know and <laughs> it's it's so like i i i was and I can understand people being paranoid in the suburbs because they never see anyone, you know? 
you never see anyone. And so like, but, but living in the city, like living in San Francisco, it's fucking insane. Like there's people walking around all the time. And like, just cause someone like st stops and kind of looks at your window or something, you know, it doesn't mean they're casing you, but that's the kind of vibe you get here. Yeah. People you walk around on the streets. I mean, it's like people talk about it a lot. You know, people that I know here in San Francisco talk about crime. It's pretty much like the dominant, you know, uh, topic of conversation. Well, especially the vibe outside. It's like, it's like all I see are like boarded up businesses and people just being like, we, this is how fucked up our society is now. Like San Francisco is like feeling the heat of all the crime and like no one can have a functional life because of just so much yeah. crime and like all it's just showing all these stores just boarded up. It's like, it really does seem from the outside. It seems like, there's just total rhyme nonstop, like, to, yeah, total yeah. purge shit going on. Yeah, yes. And people, you know, but you know what's funny is that like there, are, there actually are like okay, so I live in the hate, you know, and so it's just like there's a lot of kind of people come come from out out of the neighborhood, right, to kind of hang out here. I mean, there's there, are, I think there are quite a few um, like uh, car break-ins, right? Like basically people getting their like their backpacks kind of stolen out of their cars, and maybe you know if they have laptops or something in them. I think that cry that, that's like I see it like so I see broken windows kind of around the neighborhood, you know. In front, in, in fact, right in front of my building, I've seen it like happen like a couple of times in the last month, just just on my street, like windows being broken, you know. Just I can see the glass. And I, my brother got when he was on his way to Tahoe um, just last weekend. Uh, they stopped in some like In and Out place uh, in uh, somewhere I don't know, like on the approach to Sacramento or maybe like yeah, not 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 all the way to Sacramento, but they got their like their car broken into right as they were like getting in their burgers and got all like their you know their backpack stolen out of the car and like laptops that are you know, that, that were in their his kids laptops or that were in the car you know uh, got stolen but like but i can understand those crimes you know because it's like um because I, in, it's like people have these really expensive laptops and 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 ipads and things like that right and like you know, if you think about like if you cram all the electronic gear that you have into a backpack, it's like that could be like three, four thousand dollars worth of worth of stuff, right? That it's easily you can easily sell it. So like I can sort of get why people are doing that, you know, because it's like an easy crime, you know, like it's, it's you just break a window, grab something, and it's like very, very, very clearly, you, you know, you might be, you'll be able to sell it, and they're high, very high value um, stuff that's in a car. I mean, when I was growing up, like no one had anything that valuable in cars, you know, like you didn't carry you know, $3,000 right. worth of electronics on you, like at all the time, you know, uh, in your backpack. So yeah, like, exactly. so, I, so I can understand that stuff. And like, there's people's dogs are being, you know, like are being <laughs> dog napped. It's pretty funny too. Cause they're like, they have these really expensive, whatever French bulldog breeds, you know, that sell for like $6,000. It's like, it's like, I don't know. There's like, there's like, there's, there's like a class war aspect to this whole thing where like you have people who have a bunch of money, you know, and carrying around these really expensive things. Um, that can be resold. But but crime is also like not going. I mean, is it isn't it just totally like manufactured, though? Because like I actually read that crime is actually going down. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like I, L.A. and San Francisco. I think certain. Yeah, I think certain categories are going up like certain thefts. But yeah, but like generally violent crime and um, yeah. And like. Yeah, it is going it is going and some and some types of burglaries, I think, are going down. Certain types of are going up. But yeah, I think overall the the. The trend is going down, so I totally agree that they're focusing on these in, on these specific incidents, you know, uh, and more brazen. And also, everything's and everything's on, on like recorded on camera now, so like you can show it, right? Whereas before, you know, things happened like and you couldn't really show 
to, and you couldn't like you you know post it on Twitter, post it on Facebook, post it on Nextdoor, and use it to like whip up fear and outrage. Well, it almost seemed like um, a Rite Aid sponsored campaign because they were just yeah, like we're forced to shut down all these stores. But then meanwhile, it's like, dude, you guys are like raking in record profits. Like, what are you talking exactly. about? Exactly. Yeah, I think they're like they closed some shops that are basically not that profitable. You know, so so and so you know people are kind of pissed off that like that you know uh, and so they're they're using it as a as basically scapegoating uh, you know crime uh, like I don't know like the. It's not even the official reason why they close it is the thing. It's 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 like that's how it got spun. Yes, exactly. I mean, I don't even think Rite Aid said that. I mean, maybe it maybe someone from Rite Aid said that, but like that. You didn't deny it. I don't think they like, you know exactly. They, but they didn't like go out of their way to deny this stuff. That, from what I from what I from what I you know read from what I've been watching. You know. Yeah. But yeah. I totally. Yeah. Exactly. But there's there's another aspect to this though that I because like I'm of the mindset where it does seem like there's more brazen theft happening that's not being enforced you know but like that's not being responded to by law enforcement and i guess i want to put this question to you yasha after hearing the lapd union head tell the media repeatedly he didn't just say this once he's been going around the media like the last few months saying that tourists should not visit la he went on fox news once and said that it's like the purge right now We, we cannot respond to violent crime, almost implying like their hands are tied by these liberal Democrats who don't, you know, who hate cops. So I guess putting this a little bit maybe conspiratorial question to you, but it's something that I b- just believe on a gut level. Do you think it's possible that cops, pol- entire police departments are being hands off certain types of crimes on purpose to get the public to sort of get into this more state where they grovel to them they feel more desperate to beg for i think 100 percent. i think 100 i mean i think basically like a cop strike you know in, in a way right yeah like a like a soft like a whisper cop i kind of been kind feeling of that thing, yeah exactly right? i i feel i feel that's that's probably true you know i mean they feel they i mean like yeah i feel that's my that's my my gut you know it's hard to prove any of this stuff right but it's my gut feeling just being actually in LA, you know, living in LA and then moving to San Francisco in both of these places, I feel like this is, cops are kind of, you know, are, are, are a lot more hands off, you know, somehow. And, and generally like the way that they, the way that they publicly react to these things. And I agree. I, I think if, if they're, if they're, if it's, they're, if they're not doing, you know, like they're kind of like roll, basically pulling back a little bit of their, of their pre- presence and of their, of their responses to, to things. I, that's, that's like totally true. I think, um, at least on a gut level, like, just like you, like you said, um, I mean, you know, like, and it's happened, it's, it's working, you know I mean? So again, like this yeah. place, I mean, I remember, I remember when black lives matter, like, you know, the, the protests just started up right at the beginning of the pandemic. I remember coming up actually visiting my parents, um, like, I remember we saw this stuff happening in LA and sort of some of the early protests in LA and we drove up here and we kind of saw the, the big BLM kind of, you know, solidarity rallies here in San Francisco. And there's all these BLM signs everywhere, you know, uh, in San Francisco. And like now, you know, the sort of, the sort of liberal, you know, progressive mayor of San Francisco, she's basically uh, called, you know, a state of a state of emergency and is like asked for more funding for police to like to to crack down on you know on drug dealing and like drug use in the city and like basically she's not like Trump saying you know calling them anim- calling these people animals but but she's basically saying that in a kind of a liberal way i mean she's very very like tough on crime rhetoric like 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 a very like 
like the kind of stuff that you'd hear on Fox News. It was pretty shocking. I don't know if you, I don't know if you've been following that. You know, London Breed, Mayor London Breed. Um, That's what's her, so crazy about the right wing. Yeah. The right wing narrative is so crazy because it seems like Black Lives Matter won. It's like, yes. see, look at they. The we were so far left. I forget who just tweeted this the other day. It was like, wasn't Chris, I? Don't know. If, I don't think it was Chris Matthews, but it was like someone just being like, see, like this is what happens when the country goes too far left. It's like, what the fuck are you guys talking about? Like the police got more funding everywhere. Like I don't even know one de- police department at all. Yeah, exactly. I mean, San Francisco is just a perfect example of that because San Francisco is supposed to be this this woke, you know, sore, you know, on, uh, in America, right? It's like the, the it's like the worst woke place you could possibly imagine, and even it is is having like this reactionary blowback against Black Lives Matter, and like, and the the, the perception is that Black Lives Matter and just sort of this anti police um, kind of uh, atmosphere, right? Like uh, of cop, cop hatred is like is has caused a spike in these crimes, you know, it's caused criminals to be more brazen and look at all these, look at all these, you know, look at all these brazen smashing grabs, they call them, you know, it's like, look at all the smashing grabs. It's like suddenly it's like, what is this supposed to be like a smashing, you know, like a, I don't even know, like a pet, like a, <laughs> they, even the language that they're using is like militarized, you know, it's very strange, you know, it's like, um, I don't even know who, who came up with that term. Actually, I'd be curious to who came up with that term, uh, with that phrasing. Uh, but you it's know, like, like so in San yeah. yeah, in San Francisco, it's in San Francisco. It's like, you know, the front page of for months, the front page of the San Francisco Chronicle was like devoted to this supposed spike in crime. And, you know, what are people going to do about it? People are, you know, outraged. People are scared. You know, people are fleeing, you know, thinking of like fleeing San Francisco. I mean, this is the kind of coverage that you get in the sort of liberal, you know, woke um, capital of America. Right. It's total propaganda. It seems like the cops are just like feeding the totally fake statistics and shit. It's like, are these people like literally like that's what's so crazy about the local reporting. It's like, dude, come on. Like at some point you have to ask yourself, is this even real? Yeah. And it's funny, like and I just seeing some of the same reporters who are like covering, you know, like police brutality and like these kinds of, you know, like, you know, cops shooting people in the Bay Area, you know, and like, and kind of looking at that critically at like you know, violent police culture, suddenly is like, you know, the, the editor gave, gave them the signal, you know, and now they're doing the, the, the opposite kind of story. I mean, the same people. And uh, it's been kind of interesting to watch that. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So even in liberal, in this liberal woke capital of America, you know, you have a, a serious blowback right now against Black Lives Matter and against any kind of attempt to rein in uh, police power. Uh, so, it's like, you know, it makes me, makes me, made yeah. me, made me think about it. Like you gotta, you gotta wonder like, you know, if let's say Bernie had won or something, you know, uh, I can't just, I can't even imagine the kind of blowback that would be happening nationally, you know, even to like the sort of the mildest criticism of America and criticism of American policies, you know, I mean, just, just seeing kind of the way that Black Lives Matter played out, you know, with this sort of liberal exuberance where with, with all these white people, you know, basically pasting these BLM signs um in their windows like it's some kind of cross you know like it's some kind of um like it's some kind of uh you know they're like doing penance or something and they're projecting you know their 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 moral superiority or something but when actually you know like but then they switch immediately and like then support again tough on crime policies and uh, like take part in this total fucking crime panic you know they they don't like they they don't see a I don't know, it's, they don't, yeah, it's, 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 it's been kind of, yeah, it's been strange to watch, you know? 
that's what's so annoying about the association of like woke culture like somewhere like san francisco that embraces that kind of shit everyone has the sign saying i in this house we believe in science oh my god you know those those signs but at the same time it's like it's so it's just a neoliberal hellhole yeah no that's the problem with when you don't when you don't uncouple those notions of like leftism with woke you know tokenism um it's a big problem yeah exactly exactly just because it's yeah it's again it's like the culture war stuff is 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 seen as actually signifying something something deeper a deeper politics but it's not it's really just like cultural signifiers and they're very superficial and again it's just all about making kind of these liberal liberals you know giving them a sense of moral superiority and um, but like when you actually dig down you know to to some kind of base level of like what do these actual people believe you know, they don't really differ that much from the right. I mean, it's like they want the cops. They want the cops. They want, and they, they like, they want, you know, they think that living in a city, living in a city that has, you know, crazy amount of uh, economic inequality, um, surrounded by a sea of poverty and um, by people who can't afford to, to you know, even like a, a room, who can't even afford to rent a room, you know, uh, in San Francisco or can't even rent a room because their credit score is not good enough, you know? Uh, like they think that living in this kind of society that has massive uh, economic inequality and being kind of on the opposite side of that, having, you know, these really expensive e-bikes that they store in their garages that are get, getting stolen all the time. You know, they're having like, you know, ridiculously expensive pet dogs, you know, ridiculously expensive laptops that they leave around in their cars. You know, like, like in this kind of society that they want it, they want no conflict. They want no strife. They want to be perfectly safe. They, they don't want to have, they don't want to feel the effects of the society that they actually live in, you know? Like and so, they and of course they turn to to the police because who else is going to protect them from this stuff? And uh, but obviously it's not going to solve any of these questions. But yeah, like again, you know, the, the, watching this watching this blowback, this cop blowback is like it reminds me once again how how like how you know how there really isn't like different politics in America. It's really at its base like one political culture, you know, with slightly different cultural uh, signifiers. That's a great point. I mean, it, I, I, going back to the Nextdoor and Citizen app really quickly, I mean, that's sort of in one way that I realized, you know, not that it's not obvious how superficially woke uh, a lot of people act here, but that was one of the ways I sort of saw this like sort of underbelly of the Bay Area in a very clear way where you don't have to go very far next door to immediately find racism, oh, yeah. racist posts in like any neighborhood here. But what's so fascinating is this, Citizen app specifically, it, apparently it was started with some like libertarian seed money. The people who are in the company are like vigilantes. They have this vigilantism mindset. And I had this experience myself right when the pandemic started, like right when the quote unquote lockdowns, you know, started where there weren't really, really any real true lockdowns in the Bay Area. They just told people to stay at home or whatever. They, I got a, a, a notification on that app saying that someone had uh, broken into the Oakland Zoo and had let out the bears. Like, so, <laughs> you know, you would assume, you would assume, okay, then anybody could post things yes. there, right? Then that's how that got on there. But it turns out, this is the really weird thing. Apparently, the people who run the app, like, work with and have connections inside the Oakland wow. Police Department, inside dispatch, inside the 911 operator center... So that experience was fake. Like that was a fake post. I don't know how that got yeah. on there. But w- another experience I had was I was walking around a wealthier neighborhood in Oakland 
and I had the app on my phone and I saw, I got a notification saying that somebody was being robbed at gunpoint a block away from where I was walking. So I was like, this is really fascinating. I don't hear any police activity. I don't hear any, I hear like children laughing in the <laughs> distance, you know, where this, from where this direction would be coming from. So I kind of just walked around the corner towards it. Nothing was happening. So I ended up calling the Oakland Police Department to see what this crime docket, like what was like reported at this time period in this neighborhood. And the woman on the phone claims that it was just reported as a car break-in. Someone reported a car break-in. Now I was trying to explain to her, this app says it was an armed robbery. And she's like, and then instead of saying, oh, that's weird. I need to check into that, that they would put wrong information. She started going into immediate defense mode on the app saying that, we vouch for that app. What? We believe it's very accurate. They consult with us directly to like verify it. And she's like, she was like disputing my claim. She was like, I, I don't know. I'm not sure about that. Like, I have to like look into that. She was like defending. That's the crazy. App. Wow. And I was like, well, this is weird that it would say there was an armed robbery happening in the neighborhood I happened to be in. And there wasn't one. I mean, and she didn't seem to think it was that problematic. And she was acting as if that app has been very helpful for th- their Whoa. policing. Wow. So I found that reaction very telling. You know, those two personal experiences seen blatantly fake crimes uh, being put on that app. So I, you know, I wonder how many people have that app and had a severe reaction to something they thought was happening that never happened. Yeah. Like there was posts on Nextdoor at the beginning of BLM that probably were from, from like 4chan trolls saying that we're BLM protesters and we're going to come into your like gated communities and like break <laughs> your windows and stuff. And like people were circulating those posts as if they were legitimate BLM uh, events. And it's just like, dude, like this is really, um, it's really just strange how little it takes to get people really activated. You know, yeah. um, like you were saying, Yasha, they have, vi- there's so many videos recording this stuff now. No, exactly. Yeah. That just, you know, seeing a video of it, the way the NYPD runs their Twitter account is it's basically like a crime tabloid. It's, it's really disturbing, yeah. you know, how they're trying to rile people up. No, exactly. Uh, that's interesting. I wouldn't. I, I'm not surprised that there's a you know a connection between the, the that app. I mean, it's. I mean, look, like I, I feel like police departments generally are very savvy in terms of you know how to manipulate, um, um, just you know how to manipulate people's perception and how to manipulate public opinion. And generally, yeah. the, you know, this the culture. You know, you know, you better you know this better than I do. You know, American culture is very pro police. You know, it's pro safety. I mean, it's like built into almost like the. I don't know the, the the kind of the I don't know even like what what it means to it's be an American. It's ingrained in yeah. our yeah. DNA. Yeah, it's like, it's yeah like, no. It, and like the all the all this like neighborhood crime watch stuff that you know that that exists. You know, before that's the pre app, right? Like the pre app um, mm-hmm. crime panic <laughs> uh, neighborhood crime watch. People like go on patrols, you know, and like uh, but but and so they know that like it doesn't take much to to like trigger a sympathetic response from people, you know, it's like people are worried about their property. You know, people are, you know, putting huge money into the the houses that they own, you know, that they like that, like real estate is like the, the bedrock of this fucking country and this culture. And so, yeah, it's like, doesn't take much to get, to get people to be sympathetic to police. And so it was, yeah, it was kind of interesting to see this out, you know, this outpouring of support for, for, you know, for the black lives matter movement you know i mean on a superficial level you know that like in this position that you know the police are violent the police you know uh, like uh it's like they're kind of running amok in this country and that there was some calls for reform you know but like all that stuff is just 
melted as soon as you like inject a little bit of fear and fear and panic and in, into the culture you know it just it doesn't take much to turn it it's such a hive mind mentality too because it's like people just being led by the nose and being told what to care about what to become you know upset about or outraged over and right now the ukraine thing just seems like it came out of the fucking blue oh yeah it's like it's a, i mean even example. in liberal yeah, circles yeah, yeah. too it's like liberal circles like super fascinating i mean people just being like well what should we do about it it's like what do you mean what should we yeah. do about it like dude do you know the like tell me the first thing that you know about ukraine and or russia in terms of like their politics or culture you yeah. won't be able to tell me fucking shit grab a rifle you know <laughs> I, yeah, yeah also how funny is it to see the right saying uh that biden is going to lose ukraine like, yeah, like now it's they're ours to all own. of a sudden acting like yeah, like, wait a second. I thought you guys were totally like on board this idea that it was a terrible idea. But uh, yeah, but I thought like and Chuck now Carlson seeing, or whatever, you know, is like the hero of yeah, yeah, he, he did. did, yeah, yeah, he he, and which is strange. Like, I don't, I don't buy into most of the Russia gay stuff. But how did some sector of Republicans get into the mindset of being like not like anti shipping weapons to Ukraine? Because I was just watching yeah. a very heavy agenda clips again. And all, almost all of them voted for it initially back in like 2015, yeah. I want to say, was that original vote. So like what, what was it? I mean, that, that's a whole other discussion. No, but, but, it's, but, it, but isn't I mean, like yeah, Tucker dude, kind of channeling, I was thinking about this, Tucker's, Tucker is cha channeling a pretty popular, you know, kind of Republican sort of wing of the Republican, you know, party or the kind of the, the, the right wing, you know, sector of politics. It's sort of the libertarian or, you know, yeah, conservative. Yeah, yeah. The yeah, quasi-conservative yeah, kind of yeah. isolationist stuff. Yeah, that goes back, that has, you know, a long history in America and, and has been, you know, popular, very popular in American culture generally. But when it gets, so like you can voice all that stuff. It's like you can be Ron Paul and be against war, but when it comes down to it, you'll vote for war, you know? Uh, and you'll, and like, and, you know, so like, it doesn't surprise me that much. It, what surprises me is people being so shocked by like, like that, that, you know, that this kind of libertarian or isolationist position would be, would be aired as if like, as if the right is never isolationist or, you know, uh, has, has never taken a position like that, you know, it's all for so rhetoric and it's rhetorical. It's like, it's not principled, you know, I don't know. It's well, I not guess like, it, it doesn't signal very much. Yeah. Where the hell deeper. did this come from? Because it literally like seemed like it happened overnight, the Ukraine stuff. And now it's just yeah. like, all right, like we're, the media is calling for preemptive strikes. It's like, what on earth is happening? I mean, I feel like when, when this happened, when I was at RT, of course, with the infamous Crimea oh, incursion, yes. it seemed like it was building for at least like a couple of weeks, but this is just, this just seems totally out of the blue. I don't know. Yasha, have you been yeah. following like the build? Up? I mean, well, the Euromaidan protests that had you yeah, know, were, yeah, yeah. Were, I mean, there was a, there was a whole build up. There was a whole build right. up. There was a big movement. You know, like yeah. basically this sort of there was a whole yeah. There was a whole kind of a, almost like a civil war situation in, in but Ukraine. But then we got our guy. Yeah. We like the Ukraine yeah. coup happened. It's like that's that's our and regime. Then, so like, what what's the deal now? Well, I don't. You know, it's a good question. I mean, I, there's a, it's a very strange thing. It's like okay, my my like top level thing of it. It's like it's pretty clear that they're pushing this thing because. I mean, I don't see any other reason of why would they be doing they would be doing it now because it's it's this is mostly coming from you know Washington D.C. Like this is not the, the like it's not like Russia suddenly is like moving things right to the border you know or like moving things you know past the border and into like sort of the you know the the kind of the occupied territories or the you know the kind of the independent rep republics of uh, of Eastern Ukraine. It's not like there's an influx of 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 
you know, troops of um, like military hardware of like, uh, you know, supply lines and things like that. You know, it's like a big, it's like a big territory that like you can't really just like invade a co- that country, you know, just like by snapping your fingers. You have to prepare for it. You have to have like some kind of mobilization of, of in, 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 in like, you know, in, in, on multiple levels. Uh, there's nothing, nothing like that is happening. And if you actually listen to, uh, to, to like any kind of like, I was actually just listening just earlier today to a to a, a Russian defense analyst talking, and he's like, "Nothing's changed. Like nothing has actually changed on the ground. Like there are the troops are That's hundreds so of miles away from the border, you know, and like in in their traditional um, sort of military bases that exist inside Russia. Uh, I mean, there's some there's some talk about having like uh, war games and stuff in in Belarus, and like that's being used as a kind of as like saying, oh, they're going to, they're just, it's like a ruse. They're moving troops into Belarus and they're going to invade Ukraine from the Belarusian side, like a pincer movement, because Belarus is sort of like on, on, on the, kind of on the Western side of Ukraine. And sort of like, they'll be like, you know, so it's all a ruse, but it's, but it, it's not really true because the, the, there's not a lot of troops that are, that, are, that are taking part in these exercises. Or, and so like the, nothing has actually changed in the ground. I mean, the only thing that has kind of changed, I guess, is... Uh, I guess this is like in December, at the end of December, I think around Christmas time that, you know, Putin and sort of Putin's people made this kind of ultimatum to NATO, basically saying like, we demand these like uh, concessions from NATO saying like, you will never, um, you know, uh, you will, you'll never admit Ukraine into, 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 into NATO and sort of all these other bullet points that they wanted, like they wanted to, you know, the, the sort of the, the America and NATO to agree on, you know? And like, so, I think that was like used maybe as being used as a pretext. Like he's like saying that if we don't do that right now, he's going to invade, you know, but there isn't really anything changing on the ground. There, it, nothing is, there's no difference. So for me, I feel like, again, everything is like with domestic politics, right? So like Biden is like having a total, you know, the, the whole democratic agenda has just collapsed. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, I mean, the whole dem- uh, the, the approval, Biden's approvals ratings are fucking tanking. I mean, their midterm elections are coming up. <laughs> I mean, I feel like this is like a diversion, like a total diversion from just like the abject failure of the Democratic Party and of, of Joe Biden's, you know, presidency of his like signature deal, you know, build back better. It's collapsed completely. But right? like coming from the deep state or like coming from, I mean, outside forces to try to pressure Biden because like for a distraction or because he just hasn't. I mean, my sense of it is like, it's just a totally Democratic Party thing. But like, yeah. again, I, and I don't know, you know, I don't have no I, I have no insight into this. But but like, I don't know. Sometimes you got to like view these things as if you were going to like view this. If you were looking at it, if you were not from America and you were sort of looking at American politics from the outside, like if we if this if if this was like Russia was doing this, let's say. Right. Suddenly, mm-hmm. you know, like Putin's like signature, you know, domestic agenda of his of his presidency. Let's say, you know, he just was just elected. He's got this thing, you know, he's pushing it. We're going to, you know, make America not great again, but we're going to build back better. You know, we're going to do all these great <laughs> stuff. And it's collapsed completely, like total collapse. You know, you have like, you know, record number of COVID deaths. You have like, you know, the, the ending of like, you know, any kind of like support for families, child credit that like elapsed. You have uh, a kind of total stalemate in Congress. You know, you have like nothing actually to show for the, you know, for now, for like wrapping up, like, what is it? It's been over a year now, right, of his presidency. Uh, like, he, he's done nothing, essentially. Uh, and, you know, more and more, you know, like there's like, you know, if you're, Putin is like, sees that, you know, he might, you know, his party might lose, you know, the next election. <laughs> and you, And suddenly out of nowhere, he's starting to like, 
talk about okay the americans are going to invade the americans are going to invade our allies you know we need to we need to really you know call out the troops on this and, and suddenly the entire political establishment of russia is like suddenly hyping on this clearly non-existent threat i mean you'd make the right kind of you know if you were looking at it from the outside you'd say like well clearly he's just like whipping this thing up ginning this thing up in order to to provide political cover uh, and kind of and distract from his political pol- political fail- failings. And then they home, became hysterical right? that he was like, "I'm not going to do anything about a mi- even if Russia does a minor incursion." People are like, "Oh my god! Like you're not going to do anything about it?" It's like what? exactly. But he can't even stay on. He can't even stay on message, man. It's, it's, it's funny. <laughs> it's yeah. amazing. I mean, well, it kind of reminds you of what happened. It's 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 kind of a repeat of what happened during the Obama administration, where it seemed like there was a kind of an internal uh, tug of war happening between a certain, you know, foreign policy mind in the uh, Obama administration, like Ben Rhodes and Biden and Valerie Jarrett supposedly had this sort of specific vision. And then, uh, you know, and then like they sort of let the Victorian Newland and the Samantha Power sort of wing of that foreign policy aspect, like kind of take over for a bit. And then Obama sort of like clamped it down again. It seemed like, and right now it does seem as if like, yeah, like what did, what happened? Like they were like, okay, our poll numbers are doing horrible. Like now it's time to just like let those state department motherfuckers, like let's, let's let the, let's like unleash the beast. Like <laughs> they like, they have like all their own scripts to yes. run. They could just like go out there and do their like think tank shenanigans. Yeah. Like it's almost, it's like an engine in and of itself that it's, can be like turned on and off. And exactly. You know, yeah. It, yeah. It's starting to bring in, more of the right wing like you're almost you're starting to see a more of a specific split in that more paleo conservative quasi libertarian wing of the republican party and that more you know that earlier version that we saw in 2015 where most of them did vote for the ukraine weapons and like fox news uh for example is now you know putting going going back to how they were in 2015 when it came to like euro maidan and putin it's so it's it's interesting to see how that cycles out it's like they were deflecting the Russiagate stuff for a while. And now it's just like back to business as usual. And people don't even remember, you know, it's just like, oh, okay, now we're just, now like the orientation seems to be like, uh, I've even seen George Papadopoulos, you know, who was one of the guys who got caught up in the Russiagate scandal saying that Biden is going to lose Taiwan and <laughs> Ukraine. It's like, wait a second. Like you were, you were the guy talking about neocons, like on Michael Tracy's show a year ago. Now you're like talking exactly wow. like a neocon. So anyway, No, it's, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, like the, yeah, it's, it's like, I don't know, you know, because the because a lot of this stuff is just being driven by the media, right? I mean, the, 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 you know, I mean, just you look at the New York Times head, you know, front page for the past week. It's just been nothing but most of the main headlines, you know, on the front page are, are about like this impeding war and that Russia is about to invade. Um, and, and I mean, I, I can't get this. I, I can't sh- shake the the sense that like you know, our, the liberal media has been so, was so in the tank for Biden, you know, like and was so like promoting him and has been like so you know complicit in. I don't know, like whitewashing all, all his political failures and like the fact that like, I don't know, like no one's criticizing him for, you know, for like for what, what, what Trump was being criticized for all the COVID deaths that are happening under his watch, you know, like that are like that are basically at the same level or if not higher now than, than when Trump was in office. Um, no one's like it's like it's like not no one paying, paying attention to that. Instead, it's like being redirected into this again, this like just war panic and and um so like I feel like I don't know. There's just a lot of things that are in alignment. Like you said, there's like this think tank complex that can be sort of like you can dial it in or di- it's always there and it can be t- dialed in or turned on or off or just 
that you know change in intensity and the, the amount of like rhetoric that's come out of there how much how much how much how much of a voice you give them and the media is complicit in it completely because it's just like suddenly it's the, the gates have opened you know and they're like they they want like the worst possible news uh you know they you can possibly give and like and there's almost no voice given to it, like any kind of skepticism about what's happening there well like the afghanistan stuff too i mean they Except did the Tucker. same thing to him even Except though for Tucker, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, Tucker. Tucker's the lone, the lone voice. Thank Tucker God. Tucker is him. more principled than anyone than anyone <laughs> out, anyone out there. You know, I mean, he's yeah. No, but it's weird. It's like the think tank circuit got turned on to lambaste Biden for pulling out of Afghanistan too, and then that was pretty much the you know they yeah. haven't really criticized him for anything like valid, of course. Yeah. Yeah, well, that you saw the same machinery, Abby, turn on for that, where it sort of started to bring in people yep. from exactly, the right, yes, just like old times again, where it's like. It's all about, it's like they fall back into their old sort of conservative messaging of a democratic president needs to be portrayed as being Mm -hmm, weak. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like that's the overall schema in all different directions, but specifically weak to stand up to our enemies, you know? Um, And that wasn't so much the Democrats posturing to go try to go Trump into war to try to tar him with the you know, Russian puppet thing. They, They kind of took a little bit of a different strategy, making it seem like we had this you know, we had this obligation, you know, that's always sort of, that's the NATO sort of State Department thing. The right's more of coming at it from more of like a reptile brain, like, he's weak. He's going to lose Ukraine. <laughs> it's like, whoa, you know? No, yeah. it's the whole the whole idea. I mean, just the whole notion that Russia is, wants to invade and occupy Ukraine, I mean, it actually just makes no sense. Like, it, it, on its face, it just, it's a laughable, you know, concept. Like, I mean, Russia didn't even do a full-on like invasion of like the eastern breakaway provinces, you know, um, uh, Luhansk and, and Donetsk. Like, they they have a, a, a kind of a presence there. They you know they support them obviously with the, the weapons and stuff like that. And some, but they're not even there. They're not even like you know incorporating into Russian territory. I mean, they're keeping it because they don't want it. It's like it's it's um, it would be like a drain on, on Russia. It has no, nothing that Russia really wants or needs. And the same thing with Ukraine. It's like, it would be such a liability, you know? I mean, politically, like on, on a world, politically, I mean, obviously we'd get hit, hit with even more sanctions. Like, I mean, probably like a lot of it's, I don't know if like it's Nord Stream project that it's trying to like, you know, the, the pipeline it's being, that's building through the Baltics, um, um, you know, to kind of bypass the, the gas pipeline that currently goes through Ukraine to supply Europe and, you know, Germany for the, primarily Germany, but Europe um, with gas, like that thing is will probably be scrapped. I mean, if it, if it, if it, in, if it invades uh, Ukraine, I mean, if it does a full-on invasion, I mean, there's like no upside to the invasion whatsoever. I mean, also it's like a giant fucking country. It's huge. It has like 45 million people that live there. It's a big piece, chunk of land. Like in order to invade it, you know, and hold it, like you'd have to like, send in a massive occupying army. I don't even know if it, there's there are enough, like, you know, like if you, there have to be like a mobilization of, of, of troops, like actually, you know, like a draft and, in, 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 uh, you know, to have that, those kinds of numbers, you know, you'd need to like prepare for that kind of war, you know, like, you, like actual, and it would be an actual war, you know, like uh, you'd need to have like, I don't know. So none of that is happening. And also like, it's not even clear what they do. Like, okay, they'd, they'd like, let's say it even, it would happen. Like, what would they do with Ukraine? Like, there'd be a huge, you know, insurgency in that country. Uh, uh, like, uh, <laughs> it's a it's a it's a very militarized 
country right right now. You know, it's over the last ever since Maidan happened, it's become a very militarized society. Um, I don't even understand what the what, like the strategic goal or point of invading and holding or whatever, taking control of uh, occupying Ukraine would be. I mean, there, there there is none. There's like there there are no real resources there that it wants. It's only liabilities, and it's only like only costs. So, like the the whole the idea of it is just doesn't make any sense. I mean, it only makes sense if you think Putin is like some kind of like like a like a I don't know like a like a like a totally insane you know violent person who will just sort of like lash out because he's unhappy or whatever, and like is unpredictable, like some kind of. Uh, a rabid bear or something, you know, like that, like, <laughs> you, you, like, uh, no, yeah, no rhyme has or to be reason. contained just, in, yeah, within exactly. a cage, you know, and like, and, and inoculated against, you know, so it's like, it, it makes, it actually makes no sense. Um, I mean, it would, I think things would have to heat up in a huge way. I mean, I think, uh, like, I, I can't even imagine. I mean, that's why, what's, that's why if you listen, if you listen to or read the news in Russia or, you know, or even in Ukraine, like no one's, talking about or even worried about an imminent invasion. I mean, people are scared that maybe something will happen because no, it's, you know, these things can sort of take on a life of their own. Um, when you have like militaries kind of like, you know, arrayed against each other and you, and you have a lot of, you know, it's, it's, but people are very worried, worried, but no one is actually taking it seriously. Like in Russia and in Ukraine, no one is taking the threat of this invasion seriously or, or, and so like, um, and I was just listening to a podcast of, uh, of a sort of political analyst in Russia. And he was like, they were kind of like laughing almost. Cause they're like, all you, you know, I don't, I don't, you know, it's like, we don't hear about it here. We, all we hear about it is like on the new, you know, the pages of the New York times and the pages of, um, <laughs> uh, so it's like a totally Western manufactured hysteria that has nothing to do with, with the reality out there. It's fucking nuts. I mean, I, I, I like, I, I've kind of stopped commenting or even, I don't know, I've like gotten so jaded about like basically foreign policy, foreign policies and foreign politics. Like we have like, we have so no power whatsoever to influence anything, you know, like you can sort of like, it's like a spectator sport. You can sort of comment on it. We can talk about it like we're talking about it now, but we have like so little power. I mean, no power whatsoever to, to influence it. We almost have no power to influence like domestic politics, you know, um, but foreign policies, it's like, completely out of, out of out of our ability to influence it so like i've been kind of i don't know i've been i've been pretty pretty down on it and like not commenting but i kind of had to jump in and and and, and like just call out this bullshit because it's just so insane i mean it's like com comes out of nowhere the, the 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 pitch of it is so loud and like and it's like it's coming from everywhere you know that it has to be some kind of i mean it's just a, it's a total domestic psyop uh, that I don't, I don't understand how it can be anything but that, you know? Um, yeah, that's all I, that's all I have to say on it. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting you say that cause it's, I mean, yeah, it's gotten super intense, uh, to the point where usually I am able to sit in a place of comfort, <laughs> uh, believing that they would be too crazy to do anything, you know, that could lead to an actual hot war with Russia but then when you look at all the rhetoric that's been put out recently, it does seem like it's even, it's scaring me. So like, you know, if this is a PSYOP, yeah. it's working on me to the extent that I'm like, why, you know, like, could this ha really happen? Like, this is, this is starting to scare me again. I mean, John Kirby said that the U.S. Um, has put about 8,500 troops on alert to be ready to deploy 
to Europe potentially on very short notice. So like just rhetoric like that, it's making it seem like this is a very urgent and volatile situation. I mean, BBC ran a thing um, that's supposed to be like BBC staff answers your questions. And one of their featured questions last week was, could tension between Russia and Ukraine escalate to war? And Jen Psaki yeah. uh, recently said that uh, Americans in Ukraine should leave now. I mean, yes. these, these this is all very, this is taking on to me a more intense yeah. flavor than the, even the Obama administration. Because Obama, at least from the White House level, was really not signaling very much in terms of escalating the Ukraine situation, but he was having his people do it, yeah. like in their efforts. This is different. It seems like there is sort of a coalescing megaphone that's that if if it is designed to scare people or if it is a psyop, they're all on board with it, and that's like alarming. <laughs> he didn't have like his press secretary kind of fanning the flames, basically. Which yeah, yeah, no, yeah, yeah. like very yeah. publicly to you know to all the journalists in the White House press pool, yeah. No, it's insane. And even it's funny. You know, what's funny is that even Israel jumped into this thing. Uh, and now it's like saying that there are it was like it was high level plans being discussed in Israel to evacuate all the Jews out of Ukraine and to give them all citizenship. All, oh all, the, all the Jewish Ukrainians. <laughs> As if like, wow. wow. And, and, and then just, it just came out in, the, in hearts um, just the, yesterday or the day before yesterday um, uh, that like there are the high level discussions and, you know, uh, in Israel about like fast tracking some kind of plan to give all these Ukrainians uh, Jewish passports, Jewish citizenship in case something happens. You know, of course they're like, you know, the caveat is like, oh, no one's actually requesting, you know, nothing like Jews from Ukraine are not like rushing to get citizenship in, in Israel. Uh, so there is, it's not like driven by demand. It's just, it's a totally like supply side uh, panic. And so, like everyone is, it's funny. Everyone is cashing in on it in like whatever way they can, you know. So Israel is obviously always like looking to, to, uh, to like bolster its population, you know. Um, and it's even using this. And of course, the like the takeaway here is like that, that Putin is like what like dangerous to the Jews. Like is 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 he like yeah? Uh -huh. They're doing their own yeah. weapons. So like so, but so it's it's, it's yeah. Everyone is yeah. Everyone's kind of. Everyone's getting in on it. It's a very strange time. And like, also it's, yeah, it's, it's disorienting. I mean, even my dad was like, was worried, you know, I was uh, about like, uh, asking like, is, is there, are they really going to invade? You know, is Russia really going to invade Ukraine? It's like, yeah, it's just, it's, it's fucking weird. It's a weird, we live in, we live in a weird time and it's like, it almost feels like the, um, you know, the velocity of all these like, psychological psychological warfare little plots and subplots and like tangential plots are like they're just always increasing it's like they're in the the, the pace is is uh getting faster and faster and like and they're all like and they're kind of all broken up you know like you can't even keep track of them anymore yeah um yeah well it seems like the alt media itself is just completely enveloped by a weird homogenization yes. you know i don't know if it's an op i don't know what the you fuck just, happened yeah. but like it's very hard to find, you know, stuff through the noise now where it's like, oh, that person's like a legitimate inve independent investigative journalist and I want to read their stuff. It's just like so much stuff is clickbait. You know, you're one of the only people on Substack who's actually like not doing uh, clickbait from what I've seen. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of like. And I, I, yeah, yeah. But again, it's like, it does seem like every so often the U.S., 
military or this apparatus of NATO needs to almost like express its dominance as almost sort of like a, a show yeah, of yeah, yeah. territory. Like, a, like, like justify why it's there. Yeah, like just justify that yes. the presence needs to be perpetual. Create the threat, create the threat. And So it's like a multi-prong, you know, they're killing yeah. multiple. If this is if for a domestic thing, it's like they're definitely achieving that goal as well as like a posturing I see what you mean, yeah, exactly. Effort. It's like, yeah. it's not clear who's, what, what, what the impetus was, like what, how did it originate? But like, it's serving yeah. a lot of different, interests basically and so um yeah, yeah like once yeah, the ball gets we're the started. bellingcat yeah. maps we're all the bellingcat satellite exactly. maps showing, showing all these russian troops massing you don't know they don't exist the... they don't exist yeah <laughs> none of that i don't even see bellingcat really doing much right now so it's yeah, like no, no, yeah. this is that that last version of the ukraine i think escalation was a much more well-oiled machine that we saw going this seems kind of more fast sloppy and it's yeah. kind of just Part out of yeah, nowhere yeah. it's a total media and, thing and it's like it, it, it's not reflected and again like even the people in ukraine like are not even on board with it you know the people the the, the you know the, the country that's about to be invaded supposedly you know it's not even really on board with this thing so it's it's all it's all very strange you know I, yeah it's like yeah and there's no and again you know i mean to, to your point about like substack and sort of the all media scene i i'm like i'm really just kind of shocked by it let me jump in here and pose a question to you about this uh and like you said before that the whole notion of politics especially when you're looking at foreign policy does feel like you're just a spectator watching a sport and you have barely any sway over it which is very hard as someone who's an internationalist and who really really is passionate about the crimes committed against the rest of the planet totally name but i mean let but but a lot of that we feel it through this new media and we you know, we put our points out there and we try to, you know, we try to contradict these narratives that are coming out there to give people the alternative that there's other ways to think about these things. Um, you've been someone who's been doing this for a very long time. I feel like you are one of the only people who's really stayed true to yourself and not followed, uh, you know, the algorithm. You aren't following some her herd mentality. Like you literally are just a an authentic person. And it's very refreshing. <laughs> and I mean, you've written very, very honestly about the new media economy. My brother and I talk about this a lot, how it mirrors the MSM. Totally. Um, it's become, it's in complete sync you know, now with it. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Like just, I mean, just comment on that. Sorry to interrupt you. I just wanted to like kind of get a point in there before you go. Cause I, I have to take off after this. Yeah, no, I mean, I mean, I mean, I don't know. You said it better than I could. It's just like, I, look, a lot of these, a lot of these, you know, the Patreons and sort of the Substacks and this kind of direct to subscriber, to reader, to listener um, platforms, you know, they're just to liberate journalism, liberate you from sort of the oppressive, you know, corporate editorial process, right? The, the sort of uh, the censorship that exists in every, in every, you know, um, mainstream media uh, outlet or any kind of corporate media outlet where, you know, there's an editorial line you kind of have to hew to. And so the idea was if you liberate journalists uh, and analysts and whatever uh, from that oppressive structure and you can, they can go directly to, to readers and, you know, and that would be the only people that would be beholden to, that it would create this uh, whole new ecosystem where um, people could speak their minds people could speak the truth, you know. Uh, but what turned what turned out is, that, I mean, something opposite happened. Actually, it's like because you're because you're beholden to subscribers and you're beholden to uh, people people you know clicking and subscribing and paying you, 
you have to like it actually creates a kind of financial incentive for um and and and, and you're beholden to kind of you need the you know the more people that subscribe to you the better because you're trying to make money off this thing it's not like a total public service you know you're actually charging for it and you want people to pay for it and so you want to increase your subscriber base so you're always end up like in this kind of model you you always end up chasing the 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 most number of clicks or views or subs and so it's actually created it creates a kind of a race to the bottom where you're trying to create content that appeals to the largest uh group possible you know in your own little niche and ecosystem and so so you're actually and these and these platforms they're kind of built to to guide you into that direction you know with the kind of graphs and the statistics they're constantly pushing on you to kind of incentivize you to to pursue a kind of a constant market growth uh uh business strategy to you know to to your journalism and uh and so what in the end what it what it what it does is you these these kinds of like independent voices or whatever end up like glomming to the the news cycle and to the kind of the outrage cycle that's being pumped out by um you know mainstream mainstream media and mainstream news outlets and so they're kind of like almost parasitic on top of that on the mainstream uh narratives and always play up off of that and so it actually creates it do, it creates like the worst possible business incentives for um independent journalism because you're because you're because you're that's not you're not incentivized to do in-depth independent journalism that takes months and months, let's say, to 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 do, and you know, it results in like a long article. Uh, what you're incentivized to do is you're incentivized to like hit all the outrage points, you know, in the news cycle, and like to 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 take part in like what 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 is now a culture war in 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 America, and so you're incentivized to do just to stay very topical and always kind of with the news cycle rather than do any kind of independent research because they just, it doesn't pay. Uh, and so it's, it's actually created, I've never oh, seen yeah. independent journalism as bad as it is today. Strangely, even though like, you know, some people are making, you know, huge amounts of money off this stuff. And there's like, there's never been more, yeah. you know, I don't know, like people doing commentary, media criticism, uh, sort of alternative history stuff, alternative politics stuff. It's like, it's, there's just like a plethora of that stuff. It's like overflowing with it. But it's all just the same shit. It's exactly the same. It's all derivative, and you have like a pyramid scheme where you have like the top people in that in in, in that world, like you know the Greenwalds, and the you know like what's that guy, uh, uh, you know what's the fucking the Doors, you know, and then you the, the Jimmy Doors, and you have like sort of the people underneath them who are trying to always suck up to them and like you know get retweeted by them and to get mentioned by them and to kind of so there's this whole like ecosystem of pyramid pyramid ecosystem. Of people kind of sycophantically trying to suck up to the bigger to the bigger boys in in that world, as 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 part of their like you know business strategy to 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 make money, and so it's it's fucking it's like it's very weird. It's a very strange time with supposedly the most open platforms. You know anyone can do it, uh, direct to consumer stuff, direct to reader, and yet it's exactly all the same garbage. There's no journalism being done anymore. It's all media criticism. Um, uh, it's, yeah, it's, 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 it's a weird, it's a weird, weird, weird time. It's depressing. I don't know. That's my, that's my rant. That's Completely my stuttering rant. Are you, are you still there, Abby, or did you have to go? Or no, she's left. She, she got bored of my, yeah, yeah. Oh, she left. Okay. Um, well, no, I mean, I completely, it's, yeah, no, your depressing rant is, I, I share very similar feelings to you, Yasha, on it. And I think what's, what gets lost, I mean, yeah, it's one thing to have 
this race to the bottom, this clout chasing, what you're describing is sort of like this, the problem with the parasocial nature of a lot of this like sort of clout chasing, like people under this sort of pyramid like structure, you know, not criticizing certain people or, or choosing this specific team, you know, things, I guess it used to be bad when things were becoming more hyper-partisan, but now it just seems like there's a, its own form of like partisanship within this realm of like, you know, I know the truth, the media lies to me, but I believe everything <laughs> I read on like every single alternative media website. Um, it, it's, it's, it's created a whole sort of like yes. team yes. structure over yeah. that. Um, and, and yeah, you have these psycholo- you have these like truth tellers, you have like, you basically, it's like, it's like, it's like little cult leaders, right? It's, it, it feels like a cult, right? And you have mm-hmm. the kind of like the dominant ideology of like, you know, if to take the cult analogy, it's like some kind of self-help, you know, a new age, like diffuse kind of idea, d- 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 new age mysticism or something. And like, you have like different cult leaders and they have their little flocks, you know, and it feels like that uh in in the in absolute space it's like you cannot criticize like you have your little cult leaders that you listen to you like you read you you read they're like insane amount of, the output the the output you know in terms of information is just incredible like i don't understand how people read that they don't people can't read all that there's no fucking way like they're only a, a handful of you know mostly like you know most I, I can't imagine you know anyone actually even reading the output of one person like someone like Glenn Greenwald or something, you know, mm-hmm. just the amount of information they're putting out, you know, the volume. Uh, and there's this whole f- f- new phenomenon of like these weird, you know, th- th- like the intellectual dark web and, and you know, the, the sort of the Jordan Peterson and the new atheist thing seem to ha- be relatively small in size as far as like the amount of people who are like the figureheads of that. And now like the Substack era has created this explosion of like all these suit wearing, like dork, like libertarian, like people who like are obsessed with critical race theory and stuff now. Like where do all these, <laughs> are these people from like think tanks? Cause like, where did all these people come from? I mean, I know that the, this, this economy creates, you know, can create its own environment and, and sort of pull people in from all these different directions. But it seems to be like, there's like think tanks now really pushing, you know, pouring money into, or pushing these people like the Manhattan Institute, for example, I see, you know, pushes that guy, James Lindsay, or like he's yeah. all over the place. Huh? It's like, it's just, what, it, what do you, what's your take on that? I mean, obviously it's depressing. Yeah. I mean, I don't, yeah. I, don't, I mean, I, I mean like, that? so a lot of the stuff, so a lot of people have kind of transitioned over, like, you know, like Glenn Greenwald or something, you know, the, like people have already had names right before the, this kind of explosion of this direct to consumer media platforms. Mm-hmm. And they're like, and they've, and they're using these things to ramp up, really massively ramp up their, um, I mean, the, the, their exposure, the amount of money that they make and the amount of exposure that they get. Um, and I, I don't know. I mean, it's interesting. There's like almost like this, like a Substack news, new Fox news, you know, like a uh, life cycle, right? I mean, they, they feed into each other, you know, I mean, Substack is like a kind of a neutral platform, but it has a, obviously it has a kind of a free speech, you know, it has developed a kind of cancel culture refuge status. So a lot of people kind of on mm-hmm. the, I don't even know, I wouldn't even, I don't even know how to d- dis- describe people's politics anymore, to be honest. Like, uh, uh, yeah. but sort of the, like, I don't know, anti-establishment reactionaries or something, you know, um, it's like a big, it's a, there's a whole like subculture, you know, sub ecosystem of that, you know, like from Barry Weiss to like, I'm just, these are the big, these are the marquee names, right? Um, mm-hmm. 
I mean, I don't, I don't know what to say other than, yeah, I'm sure that like a lot of these people are establishment or they came from establishment spaces and they, and they like clearly see, you know, saw an opportunity that they could make more money and they could have more independence and create like their own little, you know, essentially like little churches that they cultivate, uh, followings and flocks that they, 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 they cultivate. They clearly saw an opportunity. I mean, they saw probably Matt Taibbi was like the first one who really did that on Substack and became huge in the, in the, in the kind of like reactionary uh, kind of um, refugee from liberalism, you know, uh, 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 space that he created for himself. And then Green, Green Greenwald came on with it. And, you know, around that same time, like a, a lot of these other people came over to the Substack world, you know, like like Barry Weiss and, and yeah. you know, countless others, uh, s- smaller names. Um, so, yeah. So, like, so, yeah. So, just, I mean, I don't know. They're like, I guess there's people who are kind of coming up from the, the grassroots and are trying to, like, ape their heroes and trying, trying to, like, climb the ladder to some kind of like, you know, higher influencer status. <laughs> Cause, uh, but a lot of the people who are big in, on these platforms, I mean, came already from somewhere and came with some clout and came with some, with a following and came with a reputation, whether it's, you know, from, from, um, uh, like corporate media outlets, like the New York times and the intercept. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I'm sure there are think tank people out there, but I haven't been, fo- I haven't been like tracking that space very closely. I mean, you're, you're much more, you're much better at that stuff than I am. I mean, I kind of like, I'm actually in all. I'm a, well, it's mur- I'm actually, murky. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I feel like exactly. It takes it takes way more energy and time than I even have like want to spend on it. That's the problem. It's like there needs to be. It it is. It's become so obvious that there is some kind of big money, you know, group. Like just for example, let's let's end this discussion on how the COVID, um, you know, p- p- politics debate has become so intense. And seemingly also the opposition, you know, the oppositional narratives, anti-establishment narratives, whatever you want to call it, against sort of the mainstream COVID uh, talking points does, uh, it is uh, very entrenched with this like sort of weird right-wing think tank group money, like this thing called the Great Barrington uh, Declaration. Exactly, yeah. Um, is apparently like a quasi Koch brothers um, sort of front thing. And it's got some really weird things to go along with it, but there's been people on the left who have been pushing that without even mentioning, you know, like before people on the left would have mentioned, oh yeah, this this thing's like a Coke thing, but they have some good ideas or whatever. Uh, now it's just like sort of folded in as if it's not like a, a right-wing big money, like billionaire infiltration campaign. So, and I know you and Mark, yeah. you know, did a lot of stuff about that in the past. Like, so what's your take on just, the way the COVID debate is shaping out now politically and like there does seem to be sort of like, do you see those similar forces sort of coalescing to, you know, cosplay uh, in a way as being anti Yeah, like I always wonder about like, about the Coke money and just, you know, the sort of the Coke orbit money, how, like how, how they're influencing and how, how it's being injected into this new kind of ecosystem where it's almost impossible to track any of this stuff. You know, I mean, like, uh, you know, the Barrington declaration, yeah, clearly has like some, some coke you can follow the money trail there but it, but this the the kind of the anti-vaccine stuff and sort of the alt-vax world you know i mean clearly um is like shaping up to be also like almost like a new tea party you know um now like you had the you had just like an anti-mandate you know uh, rally like in D- washington dc that's sort of like you know just just re- regular people you know who are standing up against the mandates um Clearly, like they're they're it's clearly against this. 
misadvertised. Well, yeah, ex- exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, it's clearly misadvertised, but it's also clearly like an anti-democratic, you know, it's like shaping up to be an, uh, a force that'll go against the Democrats. It won't go against the Republicans, you know? And so th- this didn't happen. Of this course, didn't happen yeah. under Trump. You know, I mean, the lockdowns initially happened under Trump. There wasn't any stuff like that happening, right, back then. Like, so... I mean, and so there's like clearly there's like murky stuff that's sort of sort of I'm I'm always thinking about like it's almost I mean it's obviously not like a Tea Party movement and, and at all it's actually a lot more complicated and a lot more interesting because you have a lot of people from the sort of yeah. the left you know but again you know all this stuff to me like I I just I can't I don't know like to me there is no left really in America I mean people call themselves left but like you know these sort of labels that people put on themselves. Like, what is it really, st- what stands behind that? You know, it's like people self-identify, yeah. people take positions on certain things and then sort of what kind of run in, in like media clicks, right? In certain media clicks that identify them in a certain way. And, um, and like post, right? And post Bernie, like a lot of that stuff got kind of thrown into the blender and, and kind of, and uh, made a lot confusing. I feel like a lot of this has to do with the fact that Bernie's movement, you know, was able to kind of give people momentum for almost you know for like eight years for that's a long time you know there was some guiding principle it's kind of like what you're saying you know if you want to even though i don't i I never really love bernie or but it's like the there was something to uh ground people attach them to some principle exactly exactly you're like you're you know sort of you know and you can sort of interpret bernie in all sorts of different ways and you can sort of you can have like different wings of, of of that movement kind of that don't even maybe aren't even a part of the movement or don't see themselves as part of the movement are still kind of part of the general, um, I don't know, like collective that sort of more or less supports it, you know? And so you can have people crit- critiquing, you know, like some, for some people, Bernie is not, you know, anti-imperialist enough, but they will support like, you know, his domestic agenda and all this stuff, you know? So like, so exactly. And when he, when he kind of ducked out right at the beginning of this you know, pandemic, I mean, he just kind of disappeared. Right, or it came, right, like almost like fell off the map. Um, I mean, it real and like COVID set in. COVID set in, and like it, things were totally confused, and no one knew what was happening, and people were, you know, initially very scared. Like it, it's just through the through the sort of left, the larger left movement into total disarray, um, and we're kind of seeing it now. And 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 also like, I mean, I hate to say it, but like a lot of the left, you know, because there isn't really an actual movement, you know, there it, there. Like, you know, in L.A., in, in, in the Bay Area, you know, in Washington, D.C., in New York, I mean, it's like there aren't really, there isn't really an on-the-ground left movement. You know, it's not like you walk out your door, you know, like walk to the corner and be like, hey, do you know, like talk to some guy on the street and he's like in the same party as you are or in part of the same kind of social uh, organization that you are and you kind of are, you know, part of the left, you know, right? A lot of the left is driven by yeah. media personalities. I mean, it's like that's like most of what left politics is in America. And yeah. it's the cult, all these little cult leaders, like you were saying, seems exactly. to and so, define the scene at the moment. And so Bernie was like this, Bernie was great for the, for the, for business, you know, for the, for the media business. Like they had like a cause, they had like, yeah, they had their little flock that they could preach to. Right. And, you know, like, and subs that they could sell to these people, you know, um, subscriptions that they could sell to these people. And so like, it was good. I mean, it was, it was like, there was a political movement and the, a lot of the, the, the left that's driven by media, by media personalities, I mean, was like kind of driving it and sort of parasitical off of it, right? Like it was, it was benefiting off that movement because it gave people, 
you know, a clear goal, a clear like a hero, you know, that like you got a champion. Um, and when like that hero disappeared, you know, you got to look for different, you got to look for different business opportunities. You know what? I'm sorry to be that crude, but that's what happened. You know, you got to look for different causes to, to, to connect, to attach yourself to. And there aren't that many. And so one of the big ones that like clearly when things started shaking out, like in sort of the, the first year of the pandemic, you know, and people started kind of like looking around and, and getting a sense of what was going on, like, like sort of this, this, the skepticism of vaccines and this kind of like vax skeptic stuff and like alt medicine, you know, all like medical treatments, uh, homeopathic stuff, essentially, you know, like we clearly had a big audience that's built into it. And like, and, and like an audience that's like fired up, like a, a kind of, I don't know, very ideological or very like uh I don't even know what the word is like there, but they're like, they, they, they could be, they're like, just, they could be milk for cash. I don't know how else to fucking put this shit. I mean, they're, they're like <laughs> the whole, the, and so like a lot of the, the, the left, you know, pivoted to this kind of, I don't know, like reactionary homeopathic bullshit, you know, pushing these kind of bullshit cures and promoting these new kind of heroes. You know, they need, they need a new, they needed new heroes to, to promote, right. To like invite on their shows. Uh, they needed a new um, like enemy to fight against, you know, so like, and they uh, ended up adopting a lot of the sort of the right stuff, the right wing stuff, like this, this kind of hatred of Fauci, this hatred of the CDC. I mean, there, there's legitimate criticism of all this stuff, right? But like, they almost like, they That's, almost yeah. took on these kind of frames from, that came from the right. And they found out that like, the shit makes, you know, the shit works. Like it brings in the viewers, it brings in the money. Uh, yeah. I, I feel it's like partially cultural, you know, partially and, and but in a huge way, it's driven by the business needs of, of, of like the, you know, the influencer left or what used to be the influencer left or whatever the fuck you want to call it. Yeah. And there's, and there's also something I think really troubling about how there aren't leftists with big platforms who've taken the stance of, Hey, you know, let's have, let's have a debate about these mandates. There is a left position in here somewhere but instead what you see is like these sort of platform left people just adopting wholesale like this weird right wing version of it. And you brought up Fauci and like that's a really good example because I talk about this all the time uh, about how like the CDC and Fauci have been involved in some hor horrible things over the decades. I mean, AIDS crisis, uh, a big one. Um, the, he, Fauci was involved in hyping up bioterror. He was pushing anthrax vaccines and smallpox vaccines on people after 9-11. But yet... It does seem to be like this really does fit nicely into the wheelhouse of sort of the Steve Bannon framing of the, not just the global elites, but also these bureaucratic deep state Democrats. Yes. And what global elites do you only hear about now uh, that has sort of coalesced in this left and right narrative? It's all seems to be directed at like the World Economic Forum all of a sudden and Klaus Schwab and the Davos community. And it's like, I can't help but wonder. It's like, I remember people very early on trying to link like China to that. It's just saying it was all, you know, that to China has their, like they have the most influence over that. And that was like, so it does seem like the, there's an aspect of the left now that's adopted sort of the globalists. Yes. Yeah. The are the ones globalist that are bad and we need to defeat. And in addition to that, the rage inside the country itself, inside the U S has become diffused to such an extent where it's like you would think we should be seeing some like more crazy stunts being pulled, but yet 
it seems like all that energy that was expended on that kind of stuff was like done about masks right in the beginning. And then now it's just like kind of just goes off like a fart. Like where is all the action? These people talk about civil war, you know, they're talking about civil war every day still, but yet you just don't see anything. And it, and it just makes me wonder is this, is this whole like globalist thing and just getting mad at your local, you know, school board, like, is this all designed in some way to just diffuse the rage? You know, talking about yes. domestic psyops. It's like, what is this? It doesn't seem to be really causing anything. Yeah. Like, you know, so I, it's 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 interesting. Yeah, yeah I mean, I feel like... Yeah. It doesn't match up with the reality. I mean, I feel it's because it's like mostly the left, right? Like, I mean, I don't know. The Biden has basically kind of given up on, on like, you know, Biden, the Biden administration has basically given up on doing anything pretty much other than like trying to force people, you know, as much as possible to get take the vaccines. I mean, they're like really... Whatever, whatever the restrictions that existed, I mean, they're kind of basically, you know, being loosened. And of course, on a local level, you know, different counties and different states have their own kind of different approaches to things, right? Because it's not all, it's not all on the federal level. That's the whole other thing. I mean, the federal level is only one aspect of it. It's not even the major one. Like most of these health measures are actually on a local level. And I mean, I feel like, I mean, I've, again, I haven't been following this stuff very closely, but like, I mean, the right has always been a lot better at, you know, like sort of like agitating on like the, the sort of local level in local level politics, you know, against local school boards, like local elections. And like they're, you know, so they're doing their own little culture war thing, with, you know, fighting the, you know, the, the vaccine mandates in school and fighting the mask mandates in school. Um, I mean, I, I mean, again, like, I feel like, and on the left, like people are just mostly were are on board with, um, you know, kind of taking this, with, with 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 initially what the Democratic Party was doing, kind of doing like a more of a hard, you know, some of these soft lockdowns, you know, uh, pushing people to, to get to take to to get vaccine vaccinated and things like that, and like you, so there's like a strange kind of thing where it's like asymmetrical the support and the like the left is kind of ambivalent, you know, like the Jacobin left or I don't even know who is left even anymore on the left, like they're kind of ambivalent about this stuff. They're not like fired up about it. They're kind of like tacitly yeah. get behind what the democrats are doing they don't think they're doing enough but they're like kind of on board with the plan and then you have this sort of like this more like i don't even know what, what to call it it's like this kind of more like rabid fringe kind of like anti-systems anti-establishment like always against the establishment sort of left you know adjacent <laughs> horde on online you know it's like they're like rabid you know they're like like you know they're act like a cult Right, like if like you cr- criticize ivermectin, like you will just get fucking bashed, you know, like like just destroyed. Like I mean, like I mean, I've been like you know, I've just had all these supposedly people, you know, who are my longtime fans, you know, like they've been reading me for years, you know, loved my book, thought it was the most brilliant thing. They're like totally, you know, like I'm like dead to them now because I'm like because I because I kind of kind of make fun of this whole idea that like COVID is a conspiracy to you know, enacted by the global elite to get us all like chipped with these sort of global, you know, these vaccine passports or whatever it is that they are, you know, like, and put us all under digital surveillance. Like, I kind of think that's, it's a ridiculous idea, you know, it's a, and so like, so there, and yet like, I don't really get any support for pe- from people, you know, for like mocking that stuff. So it's like, it's, it's like, there's an, asymm- there's an asymmetry there in terms of like the energy and extremism. Yeah. And I think a lot of people, again, like because so much left, left politics is driven by like personalities and, and, and influencers, right? Like the 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 flock, like they go where the flock is, you know, where the where the where they get the support, you know. 
and the, there is no flock really on the sort of more um, diffuse left that's kind of more moderate or whatever, or like supportive of some like you know Democratic Party poli- policies on like you know, on pen- on how to manage the pandemic, right? Uh, like the sort of states state oriented like interventions uh, the pandemic, but there's a huge energized like group of people that like is all in on like this you know the idea that this is a, like you know it's a pandemic that it's like you know it's uh, it's all about like it's all of this it's it's a conspiracy to um, to enslave humanity with like you know new new digital forms of surveillance that like COVID is not really real. And like, in fact, it's like engineered by pharma to like sell you the stuff, you know, like, like, and like, and like, you know, or that ivermectin is like the, 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 like the, the medical cure that the entire medical profession is trying to like prevent you from taking because they're like all in the pocket of big pharma, you know, all this stuff. Like, you know, there's just this yeah. huge, you know, again, like there's, there's a big audience, there's a big subscriber user base and it's super fired up. It's like ideological. And there's none of that, like on the opposite side, you know what I mean? Um, not really. I mean, there's like, there's sort of like these tis, these people who, who will kind of, um, you know, like the kind of the, the mask, mask extremists, you know, who like, will like, like attack you for like, you know, maybe like, uh, like, uh, I don't know, like questioning like the, 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 the efficacy of vaccines and like, you know, stopping transmissions and things like that, you know, like, but there mm-hmm. isn't like n- nothing like um, in the left space, at least, you know, like uh, there isn't, there's a total, mm, like it's, it's a mismatch in, for, in, in energy and forces. So I see so it's, it's, it's a strange, it's a strange kind of world. Yeah. And, and so the, the, the business logic of this world like drives that a lot of the left influencers go into this kind of, into the more extremist, I don't know, like left uh, vaccine skeptic stuff that's really being uh, informed by uh, right narratives. Even though there's like, there's, there's, you can, you, uh, it's not to say like you shouldn't criticize pharma, you know, or there isn't ways of like talking about this stuff, but like to completely go over and to like over the cliff and to say that like, this is not even real. COVID isn't real. It's all just a fucking plot yeah. to sell, to, to like make money off of vaccines, you know, that like, that Bill Gates is basically, this is all a Bill Gates ploy. It's like, I mean, who, <laughs> it's like almost a fucking joke. You know, it's like who fucking talks about Bill Gates is like the mastermind of like, you know, the man behind the scenes of, of, you know, of humanity. I mean, he's got all, he obviously is like, he's a hugely, influ- you know, powerful force into, through his, through his Bill Gates foundation and all this stuff. But like, well, it's like, it's the kernels of truth. I mean, it's like, I remember Alex Jones used to rail uh, on and on about Bill Gates all the time. And like, you know, I learned some stuff about him after the pandemic where I was like, oh, yeah, he is really, you know, plugged in $250 million into Moderna. Yeah. And in a weird way, actually, I would say that the generic, you know, New World Order with Bill Gates at the top as the global elites who plan this is like more of a logical place to go, even as a paranoid thought, than the narrative now, which just seems like it's all about yeah. Fauci. It's all about... Pfizer, which is strange. Like, I don't even hear people criticizing Moderna <laughs> anymore, even though I just read a study yesterday saying that the, like, heart inflammation yeah. side effect is four times higher, apparently, in the Moderna versus the Pfizer one. So I guess I'm I'm just feel like we're being blindsided every day by, like, information war. Yeah. And it's, it's impossible to trust what we're seeing in the alt media. I mean, you know, and it's like, even from people who I talk to who seem like they're wanting to bring light to vaccine side effects every day it's like they'll they'll post stuff all the time that just 
very unverified stuff that to me seems like it's it could be a hoax and i'm just like isn't that actually hurting bringing awareness to real vaccine side yeah. effects if you're just posting anything you find on facebook and stuff it yeah. just it just doesn't make sense to me i mean i'm no it's fuck i think it's a form of desperation too a lot of people are are scared and under a lot of social pressure and it's a intense situation and it's also so. like people are isolated you know i mean i don't know about you but yeah. like i've you know i've like when i socialize now with people like it gets so tired man like i'm like i'm like my 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 um my ability to socialize is like <laughs> you know it's gone down like we're we're you know we're social animals and so we've been it's true i mean like we've been cooped up and like you know like it, it has an effect on people i mean for sure and it's making you know people more 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 paranoid more more rabid more desperate um and like and um but yeah i mean uh, and like on the lip and the mainstream media is like also like you know horrible at actually presenting any kind of information to people i mean it's also just in the business of total you know threat inflation uh you know inflating any kind of scandalous reporting you know like uh, and and, yeah. and and kind of and also like not really openly discussing uh like the in in a complex way like the kind of the pros and cons of things like you know vaccines for instance you know the like the it like it oversold the vaccines to the public you know the idea that like they were yeah. going to stop everything and that's why and and you know the the Biden administration has like put everything into like pushing these vaccines on people but it's all, even even early on it was obvious that they okay they might slow down trans, transmission but they don't don't stop transmission so if your whole point is to like stop the virus it's like the you know, vaccines are not enough. And so, of course, people get like kind of when vaccines don't aren't effective in stopping the virus, like people get, you know, like upset and feel like they've been lied to. And so like go into the sort of like skepticism mode about like, well, what am I, what else am I being lied to? But like, so the main, the media, the mainstream media has also been very, very bad at like actually communicating anything. You know, they're like fucking grab the, the, the headline of some preprint, you know, publication that hasn't been peer reviewed, but like, but whatever the the finding somehow fits into whatever the liberal narrative is at the time, and like just blast that shit out there. It like it's like from all sides, it's just it's all about. I mean, again, it just goes back to what I'm saying. It's all about business, and, and like our media business is in the business of selling, you know, subscriptions and so and and like it's all everything's kind of built on like the outrage, um, outrage, fear mongering, kind of a hero worship, and like. And also, but also you need like, you know, you need a hero and you need like the bad guy, the evildoer. And so you have like the evildoers, you have the heroes and you have like the panic stuff that, that triggers panics. And so it's the, our whole media ecosystem is built on that. Like um, not just the mainstream media, but, but, but increasingly and, and pretty much now almost entirely the alternative media, whatever it exists, exi whatever, you know, in whatever form it exists in today, it's all built on just this. This kind of the business model of of of, of instigating fear, of of celebrating, you know, whatever the, their their own particular heroes, and demonizing whoever the bad guys are, you know, like so you, you just it's all very black and white moralizing stuff and 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 fear thrown into it. It's like it's it, and of course I'm not like it causes people to go fucking insane, you know, when you're just like when that's the world that you inhabit and you don't even see any other people anymore. You just all, you interact with the world through the fucking computer, you know, through your phone. It's like, that's all you fucking get, yeah. man. I mean, it's like, it's turning us all into fucking crazy freaks, you know? And like, I've, which is why it I've is. been kind of, I've been, I've been pulling out a little, you know, of, of our, my media consumption, you know, like, just cause I feel like it's gotten to a point where it's so, 
so over overload over over it just overloads overloads my sensory apparatus you know like i have no like you can't have any other life almost completely dominates your your like your world in in a and it's not even real you know it's like you're not even interacting with the real world it's all just fucking media narratives and you know it's all driven to like you know get you to subscribe <laughs> to some to newspapers or to substacks or to patreons it's fucking weird I don't know. It's, 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 a, it's a, it's a bleak, it's a bleak time. And yeah. And like, and there's really no one on any, on our side. So it's, you know, no one really gives a shit about any of us. So it's, you know. Yeah. And it's, I mean, how long is that aspect of it going to go on? You know, are people going to get back to being more social creatures like we were before COVID? It really does. I think we, I like, even I just forget sometimes like how much, that's that phenomenon of just being isolated is playing into this and it's definitely making things worse. It's definitely making people more reactionary. It's, it's unfortunate, man. But I mean, I'm glad people like you are still out there. Yasha. Yeah. Try. Um, Were you, I mean, you're genuinely a critical thinker. You're definitely not uh, writing on these headlines. Um, I love when you pull up stuff just like from random time periods. I mean, that's like honestly some of my favorite stuff of yours that I've read. (laughs) But I guess like use this um, end portion of the podcast to just tell people what you have coming up, how they can subscribe to your Substack. And I don't know which project of yours is coming out sooner, but I know that you were working on documentary and you did seem to. Um, have some progress on that recently so yeah i don't know just tell us what's what's coming down the pike for you well yeah so i'm i, I mean all right so like in my in my my kind of text uh uh my writing i'm i'm kind of slowly started started uh writing uh kind of i'm serializing a book basically that's sort of uh trying to like convey the weaponized immigrant experience and trying to explore my own uh weaponized immigrant experience and sort of and the historical f- frame for um America weaponizing its immigrants uh, to kind of to 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 promote you know its power uh, domestically and and abroad. So I'm slowly kind of just I've I've started a few months ago and I'm kind of slowly working through the beginning. Uh, so you can check it out. It's called the book is is called uh, and I'm kind of you know putting it putting out uh, I, don't know, I don't know three or four three or four things a month. Uh, kind of segments a month from this book I'm trying trying to do that and it's called uh the Soviet Jew a weaponized immigrant's tale um so you can check it out on it's at yasha.substack.com and subscribe um yeah and and like there's a documentary that I've been working on for years now it's about um how um it's called Pistachio Wars, although that's a working title. It might get changed uh, when it comes out. It's about how uh, these two billionaires from Beverly Hills have like uh, become like pistachio monopolists, <laughs> and they're growing these pistachios in California, and they're like privatized the, the water here in California, and you know, and they're using their wealth to uh, help you know fund um, all sorts of like pretty reactionary um, uh, foreign policy positions. I mean, as pistachio growers in America and as the biggest pistachio growers in the world, their only real competitor is the country of Iran. And so they're sort of redirecting their profits into these think tanks to like basically lobby for war with Iran and all this and all this stuff. So it's kind of an interesting documentary that like starts out and looks at this at this uh, side of California that few people know exi- that exists, this kind of the, the agribusiness side of California. And 
and how that business has been com- completely dominated by pistachio production. You know, like just have pistachio orchards completely dominating all the agricultural sectors, uh, all, all the agricultural land in California. Uh, on like it, it's kind of mind blowing. Every time I go back to the Central Valley in San Francisco, where most of the farms are, it's like more and more and more land, you know, gets switched over from whatever it was growing before, like uh, you know alfalfa or cotton or any kind of like row crops and like vegetables. It's being being tra- transformed to these like these like perfectly planted orchards, you know, uh, with the exact same kind of trees. Like they just stretch from for miles and miles and miles and miles all the way to the horizon. You know, just California is producing all these pistachios for ex- mostly for export. Uh, and behind this boom is this is this like billionaire couple from Beverly Hills. Uh, and it's a it's like a it's a California story, but it's also about a story about America and it's about you know, a story about American imperialism. And it's about like how the most important resource in California, water, is like privatized and no one even knows that it's happening here. Uh, people are totally clueless. So it's been a long, it's, we've been making it for years, uh, kind of part-time, but we're, we're, um, we're uh, I think we're on schedule to getting uh, a cut finished this year um, and hopefully maybe entering into some festivals. Um, but I don't want to jinx it because documentaries, man, they're hard to make. They're, it's, it's slow going, you know? Um, and so, so you can check it out. Like uh, I, I post about it once in a while on my Substack. Well, I'm very excited. Yeah, it sounds like a really interesting concept. And every time I drive down the five um, in California, it's it seems to me, and maybe I'm totally talking out of my ass about this, but it seems to me like most of like the farming that goes on in that area of California seems to be just like all nut trees. Um, there's like yes, no, yeah. you don't see anything else so, being grown, and it's, there's all this political stuff on some of the farms saying like we need water for these nuts. Like, don't like, yeah, like take it away. Yeah. Food grows or where water yeah, it's flows. Like, well, what kind of food are you growing? And it's like, well, it seems like every single one of you are growing nuts. I mean, like I get it. You want to hold on to your thing, but like, I don't know. The, the whole thing is, is pretty surreal. No, it's like, look, it's a very reactionary. It's like, it's, it's pretty interesting. Like the, the heart of California, California is supposed to be this, you know, very liberal state, but like the heart of California and the place, one of its oldest industries, because agriculture in California is pretty much the oldest industry. You know, oil is also pretty old, but agriculture is also obviously older uh, because it's like the first industry you set up here because people need to eat. And um, a lot of the farms, you know, there were like, there were very few small farms in California. I mean, most of it is like really big estates, like giant ones, you know, like, I mean, talking about like hundreds of square miles of land, um, you know, like, uh, uh, like just like you can drive for like an hour, you know, at like highway speeds, and still like be just you know be uh, still not like leave someone's property that kind of that kind of stuff, you know. And so and so the, these people are you know really reactionary billionaires, you know. There could be liberal, they could be conservative, they could be Republican, they could be Democrats. Doesn't matter. Their politics are all very very uh, conservative, very reactionary, and they're all, uh, and they're like focused on one thing squeezing as much water from California's rivers as possible and just like squeezing every drop. And they're basically, you know, this, the San Francisco Bay area is basically is like, you know, is under, has been undergoing a mass extinction event, like all the wildlife and, and all the, you know, the, 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 sort of the, the fish that were in, in the rivers that are basically empty are all but extinct. You know, these ecosystems are like on the verge of collapse. Like no one even knows about this stuff, you know, like this green, 
green California, green progressive California, green woke California. No one gives a shit about the the total environmental collapse that's happening, you know, inland in in its ecosystems. Uh, and um, and so, like, it's a it's like a it's a it's a it's a documentary that traverses a lot of different like layers of California and American history. And so, it's been pretty difficult to make, but I but I think it'll pay off um, all the time that we spend on it because it does go through just so much history and, and like and so much politics and like it gets it to the kind of at the core i hope of what we were talking about early on in our conversation today which is like this idea you know that california is this like woke progressive paradise it's like when you look at one of its most important industries agriculture um like you realize how completely flimsy that i that that notion is yeah i mean it's the fifth largest economy in the world i mean it's it's um plays a very big role in the in the global economy and you know, I think people tend to overlook that. And even just one of the other things I've noticed you wrote about in your your blog was Aaron Brockovich. I mean, that was a that's a local another local California corruption story. Yeah, PG story, story where yeah, it's like one of yeah. the biggest I don't know payouts in in history from a a lawsuit of that kind. I mean, it's so there's there's a a very rich history here, and I'm really excited to see your documentary. I mean, I'm sure it's gonna you know blow a lot of people's minds um and thanks for coming on media roots radio again yasha thanks for having me on man yeah yeah thanks we got to hang yeah, out in real time actually at some point, do, you know yeah real space it's it's too bad all this shit started again when we were when we were both uh having a, such a hard time meeting up i know yeah well maybe <laughs> yeah, february hopefully hopefully man all right all right man And if you're not already a Patreon subscriber to Media Roots Radio, please consider becoming a Patreon subscriber, which gives you access to one exclusive bonus episode, premium episode per month. To become a Patreon subscriber to Media Roots Radio, go to patreon.com slash Radio, and you can become one for as little as $5 a month or per creation. <laughs>